The witch's cackle burns the eye that sees the danger you are in. Sometimes we're wrong, but we want to prove that we are right, so we begin. Watch out, there's a sword and it's coming for your neck. In this battle for salvation, in this battle for salvation. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 8 of the Battle for Salvation Warhammer Underworlds podcast. My name is Max Bernstein. I'm Randall Slate. And it's the episode you've all been waiting for about the Molog's Mob. But before we do that, a couple of tournaments we want to make sure that we talk about first. Coming up uh, in West Hartford, Connecticut, we have the Games Workshop store up there. Uh, this is this Saturday, February 23rd, starting at 1 p.m. I'll be there. Randall, you going to that one? Sure. All right. I'll see you there, man. What are you going to be? What are you going to be playing? No idea. No idea. I, I have two. Probably ideas. Molog's. I'm probably not playing Magors um, for the first time. I have a couple of other ideas. Um, there's another one happening up at Newington, Connecticut, a, t- a tabletop shop, which I, where we've been before. This one is on March 16th at 10 a.m. is when they start, but they don't actually start usually until 11 a.m. Um, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this one. I think I have something else going on that day, but maybe, maybe you'll see Randall there. And then, of course, uh, the portal in Manchester, Connecticut on April 13th, starting at 10 a.m. I'm planning on going to that one as well. And of course, we also have on March 2nd, the inaugural Battle for Salvation quarterly kit tournament uh, that we announced last week. Uh, it's still going on. If you want to uh, if you want to register uh, ahead of time, you can't. Just, and that's uh, coming up soon, coming. man. Yeah, that's only in a couple of weeks. And shout out to our boy Eric Warda for winning the Carcosa Club tournament. Oh yes, he did. Uh, that That's was right, like two weeks we ago. Last week. And guess what he was playing? Balogs Mob. Yeah, I know. Everybody is. Look at all the glass, man. That's what you got to do. Now that we've done that, onto the show, and we have a, a special guest today to help us get through uh, this uh, this expansion, and also to tell us about how we did at uh, LVO. Uh, we have the the mastermind behind the College Shade Spire blog, Stephen Van. Hi, guys. On the program today. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank, thank you for joining us. Um, before we get started, we just want to ask you a few questions about uh, what the uh, what the scene's like down where you are. Where, uh, where do you live exactly? I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico. New, out in the desert. Jeez. All right. So, yeah. uh, so tell us, how did you get into this game? Well, uh, I've been playing with a group of guys for several years, uh, various games. We really focused on Legend of the Five Rings. Um, And last year, right before Gen Con, we really started to get frustrated with that game and started looking for something else to play. Uh, Just kind of by chance, somebody suggested Shadespire, and we picked it up, and we all really liked it. So entire group. Yeah, yeah. We actually went and played in Gen Con that year on like a month's notice. Whoa. Sounds great. So, so where do you play in Albuquerque? Uh, we play at a shop called Twin Sons. Um, there are a couple of other places where Shadespire is played as well. Um, we have a Warhammer store here um, where they play a league, and then we have another store across town that plays also. Nice. So the scene's pretty good down there. Uh, yeah, it's, it tends to be smaller tournaments because they're kind of split between these three, three areas. But uh, yeah, they're good. 
Gotcha. And, and does anybody besides going to like LVO, does anybody, uh, is there anywhere to like travel to that's nearby or no? Oh God, no, no. The closest place on, to right? travel to is Denver and uh, that's six hours. So. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, so what's your, uh, what's your, what's your faction? Uh, right now it's uh, goblins. Um, I was a big fan of orcs when I first started playing, but they've just kind of slipped down to yeah. where I, I really can't play them in terms of being competitive. Right. Yeah. I haven't liked them for a while um okay and uh and here's a question that i i want to ask you um about uh just how have you done in tournaments how much glass do you have oh all right um none this is an important conversation okay it is even though you've been pretty successful um, yeah but still no glass and, and what's the deal with that well um i've actually only been to two tournaments they were both quite large um Gen Con 2018 and then LVO. Right. Um, we don't, up until like three weeks ago, we didn't have anybody doing glass tournaments anywhere near us. So finally we convinced the store owners that run the place we play to go ahead and, and get a kit so that we can have our first glass tournament in like New Mexico. Really nice. See that's, and that this is like, I think the, the moral of the story is that you have to kind of be with this game and with a lot of games, like you have to kind of be the change you want to see. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. And get, get people involved, but also try to convince you. Sometimes you have to be the person that goes and says, Hey, Mr. Store owner, we're friends. Why don't we do a kit tournament? And those, those kits are actually not that difficult to get. Yeah. It, it actually ended up being pretty good and pretty simple once we figured out it was something we wanted to do. Oh yeah. absolutely. And it's important right. to have that prize kit or else people won't really come. Yeah. I mean, it, it, put, it, it certainly sweetens it a lot. It's so nice that people want to go to those, you know, people will make the trip, even if they're not, you know, focused on winning the whole tournament. Right. And it, it kind of like, unlike some of the CCGs and stuff where you can give like, you know, prize support in the form of a product, you, you don't really want to do that with Shadespire because you've already bought what you want. You only need one of it. Right. So I think the kits are super good for motivating people. Yeah, they're smart. They and and then and the trophy thing, I think, is I, I can't think of another thing where where you get a trophy if you win a, a small tournament. Yeah, I can't think of another one. Uh, so uh, one other question: uh, Who's the best player in your meta? Um, as much as I like to say me, it's probably not me. Uh, <laughs> I think probably Tim Casey. He won Gen Con last year after playing the game for about a month. Oh wait, wait, wait! So like your entire group just started playing on a lark. And then yeah. went to a major tournament, and one of your guys won. Yeah, that's awesome. What was he? What was he playing at the time? This is like pre Magors, right? He's playing Magors, of course. See that Magors, because they're the best. All right, so we ready to move on? Mm -hmm. Sounds good. All right, so Stephen, welcome. Um, we were not going to talk about this, but between when we had our pre-episode meeting and now, this whole thing about Dreadfane dropped, and so I feel like we have to talk about this Dreadfane, which is another kind of cool word i guess it's like mm -hmm. night like you know shades call it dreadfane call it dreadfane i think you have to um so what's going on with this uh randall you've done some research so, on this yeah okay. we had the uh the 2019 toy fair in new york recently which is a big convention where companies get together and you know display their products that are coming out in the next year or two and Games Workshop was there. They have a new 40K like box game called Combat Arena, 
they have a Age of Sigmar kind of, I don't know, I guess role-playing game. They call it a fantasy adventure board game. And then they also have a Warhammer Underworlds starter box, and they're calling it Dreadfane this time. And it, it's it's a little peculiar because, you know, we already have Night Vault, which is the starter box for Underworlds. But we're also getting this another starter box called called Dreadfane, which is a little strange. And they don't give like you much info or anything either. Say again? It doesn't seem like season three. It just seems like a kind of an add on. No, this is just kind of a separate thing they're doing. Yeah. And these games last year, Games Workshop came out with a couple of games that were going to be only available in sort of big box stores, kind of like Barnes and Noble. And they had one called like Space Marine Heroes. And they had uh, this thing called um, Blitzball, which is like Blood Bowl, but more simplified with a smaller board and less players on each team. And I think that this is what they're going for with these uh, box games. They want to have them in the, the bigger box stores and get more exposure to people who don't either don't know what Games Workshop is or War, what Warhammer is, um, or just more... You know, casual players who like board games and are in the store looking for board games and might pick this one up. Yeah, I mean, I, I see a lot of the same elements that we see in in standard Underworlds. You know, we have character cards that can be inspired. We have uh, objective hand, objective, uh, objective cards for your hand. We have uh, power cards for your hand. I see all the tokens and activations and the dice seem the same. I don't see magic dice. Yeah, we don't see that. So we have a picture and then a very short description of what the the game is. And in the picture, we don't see any magic dice. So we're assuming that both of the warbands do not have a a wizard. Yeah, the only two things that I see here that seem noticeably different Uh um, is that the two sides of the board seem to be attached to each other. So like it's one large board. Right. Um, and then the other thing I see are these longer cards that have like kind of like a reddish hue to the back. Right. And you can, and I can see the front of one of them, but I can't read it. Yeah, you can't read it. So we need to have we need to have the CSI team come in and Hans. Yeah, exactly. Right. But <laughs> uh, wanna, where's that button? Hold yeah. <laughs> so those those uh, are, I guess, an addition just for this box. And we don't really know what they do yet, but we're kind of predicting that they might be some sort of like uh, persistent like twist on the game. Yeah, because we see that in in Age of Sigmar and in 40k too, when you play the open war style, which is the more casual style of play, as opposed to match play, which is like the tournament rules. If you play open war, usually you draw a random card, and it will have some kind of twist to the game, like some meteors will will fall out of the sky during the game, or uh, there's like it's, it's like snowing during the game, so you're less accurate with your uh, shooting attacks or something like that. Did they so, did they mention something like that in the description? I thought I uh, not on this page I'm looking at, but huh? Um, but they yeah, do mention. Oh, go ahead. I have a screenshot from somewhere, and I don't actually know where it's from because a buddy of mine sent it to me. That does mention the kind of like meteors and lightning aspect of the game. Right. right, like there might be just like environmental things that are just affecting yeah. dice rolls and stuff. That's interesting. Yep, and um, then in the description they do say that uh, <laughs> they 
everything in this box, I guess, other than the the red cards, can be taken into the real game. You know, you can play these these. There's actually two new warbands um, in the game. There's one that's uh, Stormcast Eternals. Of course. Of course. <clears throat> because we don't have enough of those. Yeah, and then one that's uh, Nighthaunt, similar to Thorns of the Briar Queen, but these are, it, it's only four models. It's like four Banshees. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that maybe. both of these sets of models have been available uh, for a short amount of time so far, maybe a couple months since, since uh, the Age of Sigmar... 2.0 re-release. These were standalone kits that came out at the same time as the the starter box, and so I actually have all these banshees painted already for my Nighthawk army in Age of Sigmar, which is kind of cool. Um, so what I'm thinking is that they, the reason why they made this box is because they want people to go into Barnes and Noble, see this game, maybe try it out, maybe, and if they like it, they want them to go to the Games Workshop store. And then buy the Age of Sigmar box set because the models are are similar. Well, I mean, I'm 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 happy to have you know anything that's going to get more people into the game. Right. I feel that's that's good for it. Keep it alive longer. Mm-hmm. It should be good. And the the Stormcast Eternals they seem to be pretty similar to like maybe Steelheart's Liberators because they have like shields and yeah no wizard a little bit a little bit more bashy yeah and not quite as shooty. Right, and then the but the night haunts seem very um, unique because there's only four of them, and I, it's hard to tell in the picture, but it seems like they all have four health. Even the which, banshees, yeah, which could be pretty good. Yep. Four, four, four models with four health in your warband is uh, pretty good, I heard. Yeah, from uh, Magor, like judging from uh, Magor's fiends. Yeah. All right, so um, all right, I think we're done. This, yeah, more on this as more comes becomes available. Mm-hmm. All right. So, but let's turn now to uh, to Stephen. Um, Stephen, a lot of people are interested in hearing about your LVO experience and what that was like. Uh, you you uh, just yeah, just tell us how how it went. Uh, so overall, it was uh, really good. Um, the tournaments were were well run for what they were, and uh, we the big tournament, the uh, what do you call it, Grand Clash, was uh, fifty four people. Um. I ended up placing third uh, on tiebreakers uh, with goblins. Um, And uh, I think that surprised a lot of people. I don't think they were expecting. There were only two goblin players there. Yeah. Um, So basically I played a passive. Yeah, I played kind of a passive control-ish version of goblins where I was trying to score as many points in like really not fun, non-interactive ways as possible. and uh, to a great extent, used uh, Acolyte of the Cataphranes as my kind of big punch at the end. Yes! I've been looking for a tomes deck that the, works. The Cataphranes tomes. finally found one. I've been trying to put together a tomes deck, and I've been trying it with Curse Breakers, and I've been trying it with the Eyes of the Nine. I, I never thought, never would have thought Goblins. But, but tell us about that. Why Goblins? For the tomes deck so goblins have this like not so secret weapon that i'm a real big fan of uh snark sour tongue um, strikes back go for it and and people hate that guy like they don't want to be anywhere near him they they don't want to mess with him they just want him to like random bounce off to the left hand corner and leave him for the rest of the game which is usually really bad for you yeah, yeah. 
Um, but if that happens and you're able to stack four or five tomes on him, Boom. that's pretty good. Yep. Come and get me. Uh, he, I play both of the minus two move plus two wounds uh, upgrades and I play yeah. acrobatic. And, you know, when you start stacking stuff on Snurk, he becomes really, really difficult to deal with. Absolutely. Right, because he already has three health, and then when he's inspired, he goes up to three defense dice on dodges. Yeah. But yeah. when you put him up to five, seven health with the yeah. three dodges, it's it's pretty hard to kill him and unless you have some direct damage. Yeah. yeah. And then the one of the tomes gives him a health. Yep. Yep. So you so, can get up to eight health with four defense dice. Oh, it's so yeah, pretty pretty regularly. I, I can get him up that high. So and and you can inspire him just like right now. Whenever you want, yeah. Literally yeah. whenever you want. Just do it right away. Yeah, as long as he doesn't get killed in the very first activation of the game, you're good. Exactly. So what do you do? Like how do you get him involved? Do you start him further back and then like feign way him in or do like what? Yeah, it's it really does depend on the hand you draw. I mean, if you get hidden past, then you've got your opening already. Right. Um, but if you don't, I tend to start him on kind of the front row of the mirror well board <laughs> next to um, next to Drizget usually. And I pop the squigs out in front of him so he doesn't die during the first activation. And then Oh, you use the use the the, the use the squigs as a screen? Yeah. That's smart. I like that. And then on my first activation of the game, I almost always activate Drizget. Um, I fling the squigs to the sides of the boards to try to score extreme flank. And I push um, push uh, Snurk up a couple of squares and flip him at the end of the activation. Kind of putting scurry. him in no man's land. Yeah, with scurry. Okay. I am tickled by this. Uh, and then I just start rolling him around and people tend to avoid him. Right. And then just like, so are you, are you putting tomes on him as they pop up or do you like to hold them and kind of throw them all at once? I try, I try not to put down a bunch of them on him at once, but if I get tome of offerings, like that's immediately on him. Immediately on, right, of course, because you just um, run over some people. I gotcha. Yeah. And then people really don't want to be anywhere near him. Yeah. Well, do you find it, do you find it important to not, you know, show your hand right away? Like. Do you want to usually not show your, the opponent that you're using all these, you know, weird tome? Like, people are going to expect you to play Tome of Offerings. Right, right. But if you start putting all the other tomes, like Tome of Diseases or whatever, on yeah. him, is it, yeah, do you find I'm it try important to avoid not that to... If okay. I can. All right. But I think in, in the case where I'm, like, end, end round one with a couple of weird tomes in my hand, I will I will play them out just because I want to draw more cards. Okay. Ooh. All right. Well, tell us and about then you, some of the games. Well, well, hold on. So you then oh. you have the 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 card, the objective card, where you score it based on how many tomes a guy has. Yes, exactly. And then you were telling us um, before how how much did that pay off for you? That specific objective card. Uh, it's pretty well. I would say I scored it in probably about two thirds of my games, um, and the lowest I ever got was two, but that was only one game. I got several games where I got three, and actually, in most of the games where I did score it, I got five out of it. Nice, five glory. Yeah, at the end of, at the, end of the game, for, just for Snurk. Uh, yeah, and the whole time you're doing this, you're activating Snurk in your opponent's board. Ideally, you're not, you're not yeah. trying to run away with him and just be like, "Ha ha, I have all these tomes, you can't get me." You're you're actually going in there. 
it's actually kind of nice in terms of decision making. Like you can't really run away with Snurk. Like you don't get to pick where he goes. So I just I just go for it. Um, right, but you're like you said before, you're not deploying him on the back corner and just loading the tomes up on him, and he just stands there. You're you're actually going in and 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 activating him a lot, even though he has all the tomes yeah. on him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I do play. I do play last chance and. Um, uh, I, I also play obliterated, which means that I do kind of have to yeah, be aggressive with him. Is, yeah, such a good card. All right. So speaking of which, how'd the games go? So you you played them. You played this deck all weekend. You didn't change between day one and day two. That's correct. I played the exact same deck day one and day two. Um, and really, the tournaments were basically the same. I think there was supposed to be some kind of rules changes for the skirmish tournament. But uh, there weren't. Yeah, let's let's um, let's uh, mention that for a second. The, the first day was the actual Grand Clash. Yep. And then the second day was just a, a like a like a exhibition tournament. Yeah, and the impression that I got from do. people who know a lot more about Underworlds than I do was that that skirmish skirmish tournaments are like best of one instead of best of three. Um, but we didn't do that uh, for whatever reason. Yeah, okay. that's not you're, you're that's you're not playing good. Best two out of three the whole weekend. That's correct. Okay, so tell, tell us about some of the games, because there was a couple of them from the first day that you said were interesting. So, yeah, um, I, I just wanted to real briefly mention that, that my first round, of course, was the guy that had won both tournaments the year before, um, which is right in line with my luck in games. There you go. Uh, that's Sam. Um, he's awesome. He was playing a Tomes deck as well out of Eyes of the Nine. I see. And uh, we had three really close games. Uh and was really like a moment. Hold on. Was there like a moment during the game where you're both like, "Oh, you're playing tomes too"? Like, was there like yeah. a moment? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. And and of course, at that point in the game, our two guys with tomes on them are like directly opposite of each other, like real far away. Nice. <laughs> I can just imagine That's that. Be a funny like, thing. Like, oh, I thought this was going to be sneaky, but yeah, I can just imagine being like, good. "Oh, I play tome of diseases. Oh, I play tome, tome of this. Oh, I oh." I see you are also a gentleman of culture. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and then um, since we are kind of talking about Molog today, I, I did want to mention my one game in the tournament against Molog. Um, uh, it was against Justin, and I'm not going to say his last name because I know I'll butcher it. But uh, he's... Well, he's the guy from the Battlecast. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was really, really impressed with how well he played Molog's. Um, he did some things that had not occurred to anybody in my group. We brought two players with Mollocks, Um and and just some really clever play uh, from him. Oh, did, did he play you hallway the whole time? He did, which I was yeah. not expecting. I watched his uh, I watched his um, his YouTube video, which everybody, if you're interested in playing Mollocks, a lot of good stuff in there. Um, but he said that um, you you play uh, you play hallway because he and then you just run straight down the center because there's he can hit for two in any direction. So yep. as he's walking through, he covers the entire board. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really away. really slick on, very and it, it basically cuts the board in half, right? Because he puts Molog on the very first hex of his board, and the rest of his board is inaccessible to you, you at that point. You get behind him, right? Yeah, unless you have like you know like Faneway or, or hidden. Yeah, you'd have to teleport past him. Yeah, right. can't walk yeah. past him. You can't walk past him. Also played Misdirection, which I wasn't expecting. Uh, I, oh, is that the ploy where, where it, if you try to put something on Molog, he can he can throw it to somebody else. 
Yep. So I frozen and timed his stalag squig three games in a row. There you go. Yep. Very yep. smart. I've seen people Very do smart. that or the one that just cancels the other ploy on a dice roll. I forgot what that one's called. Uh, yeah. Force denial. Force forceful denial. Forceful yeah. Denial. Yeah. Um, and then I also wanted to point out in that game, like I can pretty much pinpoint what single play made the game work for me because we did go to to best of three. Right. Um, and in that third game, I mean, it was totally just uh, having the right cards at the right time. On the very first activation, Justin inspired Molog um, with a card. Which, uh, which one? Because he plays Regal Vision and he also plays um, uh, Furious Inspiration. Yeah, and, and I don't remember which one got used in that game, but he, he did use them both in our games. Yeah. Thanks. Um, but he basically made a charge attack into Prague the netter who I would put up as kind of a sacrifice and it just happened to miss like, and if it hadn't missed, I think it would have been a very different game because on that miss, you know, my, in the next power phase, I was able to put a move token on Molog. Yeah. With the transfixing stare. Yeah. With transfixing stare. And then, so that was his entire first turn was basically over. Yeah. And you were mentioning that you you like inspired Prog Prog Dunetter. I do because when you I, attack I like when you attack Malog, he only gets one dice to on the yep. next attack. Which yeah, yeah, even if he's yeah. like buffed up with some kind of bonuses, um, if you have an inspired Prog and you drop him two attack dice, you, that makes it really hard for Malog to do anything. Does Prague have to be inspired to do that, or he just gets more? He gets more dice. uh, Well, no, it would work on either one. But you're saying, yeah, he gets more dice. I mean, it's it's goblins. They're going to be inspired after the first you know go round anyway. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and so even if he does like his whirl attack, uh, Malog, then it'll bring it down to one each. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's good. And 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 he hits. Oh, you know, he hits. He throws three. He's very accurate, actually. When he's when he's inspired, he has three dice for one day. On hammers. Yeah, three hammers. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm gonna try this out so bad. Okay, cool. Uh, so, so you so ended that, up going three and zero. What's happening? Uh, four and zero on the first day. Yep. Four right. Four, oh, four oh, and zero, wow. and then you got four third. Oh, out of four rounds, right? Because it was just yep. four rounds. All right. And you ended up getting then, third place, even though you went four and zero. I did because I I dropped a lot of games. Every game I played, I went two and one. Okay. Um, but you were still and undefeated. I was still undefeated, and uh, they cut to top two. So uh, Just two. Yeah, we're gonna yeah we're gonna go through that. Just two. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Let's talk about day two. So day two was a, a I, I think wait, wait, about wait, hold third. on, hold on, hold on. So what did you win for getting third place? What did you? Yeah, what what did you win? Oh, okay. What I got needed? some dice, which were very cool. Um, I got uh, the Sorry, scatter totally token. Salty right now. But... Oh, you got an acrylic scatter token. I did. Cool. cool. And I got uh, three acrylic glory points. That's Only three. three. Only three. Those are the first three. Those are the ones that'll inspire. Yeah, you just uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, so so you went undefeated. I did. And okay. Just All right. Nice, nice. All right, cool. Um, and who ended up uh, winning the whole thing? I'm sorry. Who ended up winning the whole tournament? So I'm not actually sure what happened with the the last two, but when I check the the um, it was amazing. The yeah. results. It looks like Magors. Yeah. Okay. Wow. 
That's about time somebody won. A about time there somebody was... won something with Mag- Magors, right? Right, Max. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. It's about uh, it wasn't Curse yeah. Breakers this time. No, and it wasn't. It wasn't my Magors. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah, next year we got to go to Las Vegas. Yeah, I think I I would actually like to go out there. That'd be awesome. Um, it was right. a blast. Yeah. Tell us about day two. So day two was this skirmish tournament. There weren't as many people. Um, I think largely because nobody really knew what was going on. Um, but we still had uh, I, somewhere between like 35 and 37 people, I'm pretty sure. Pretty um, and uh, it was only three rounds for some reason. Um, and uh, it was the same rules. It was still best two out of three. Uh, I went undefeated again. Um, this time I only dropped one game during the, the whole tournament. Um, and ended up in second place because there was no playoff. What's going on here? Well, this was the casual skirmish tournament on the second. I yeah, know, but yeah, it was. Like he went undefeated for the weekend, and he didn't come in first at all. Mm-hmm. All right, t- tell us about your round three game because you said that was a good one. Then we'll talk about it. It was. It was uh, with a guy named David Cutts, who is uh, an awesome opponent, and and. I wanted to kind of mention it because I, I don't think it gets enough um, talk in in competitive games in general. But David, like, 100% outplayed me. Um, but he lost because dice. Yep. Like, just so many terrible things happened to him because of die rolls. Uh, the, the Probably the worst one was that... Um, he like really cleverly uninspired my snark that had some tomes and stuff on him. It made me very, very sad. Uh, what, what was that? You, he used a uh, cool, cool taunt, cruel taunt to uninspire my snark. And um, he was right next to Rastus uh, when he got uninspired. So I used his dumb little one sword attack and uh, succeeded, which I looked up later is, is like a 19% chance of working. <laughs> Well, that one uh, sword attack does three damage. Oh my god, it does three damage. Yeah, it I'm does. And, fury. and it killed uh, killed Rastus. And nice. Um, yeah, it just like it, he played super well. He didn't make any mistakes. His army. He just got smushed by dice, and and I think that anyone who does good in any tournament can, you know, benefit from keeping that in mind. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, you know, for me, it's like I I don't mind if I get beat by dice, right? Because there's nothing there's nothing I can do about that. I, I really mind if I lose because I piloted stupidly. Yeah, and and Dave Dave did not make any mistakes during that game, and he actually had some really clever solutions to some of my dumb tricks. And it just, it just some days it goes against you, you know. That, well, that that's right. Sometimes uh, you eat the bar. Sometimes the bar eats you. Yep. Yep. All right. Now. So, so you go seven and O. Oh Effectively, weekend. yeah. Let's yeah. can we please talk about how nobody who goes seven and O oh for a weekend should come in anything less than first in something? Let's talk about these tournament structures because it's ridiculous. I like yeah, yeah, I don't know that you I would are say... the second guest who right. that we've had on that has been to a major Warhammer Underworlds tournament and has been frustrated with uh the, the structure of uh right. and yeah and bryce johnson who who we had on the show last week like he benefited from it but he was the first to admit that like there it wasn't well done they had five rounds 
over a hundred people, they cut to the top two. Yeah. And, and I, I don't think that I'm have a whole ton to add to what Bryce said. I think he got it right on. Yeah. Um, but there is one particular aspect of it that really bugs me, which is the matching system. Yeah. Um, during which people who have the best tiebreakers, um, usually the first tiebreaker in GW is, is games lost, right? So people who haven't lost any of their games within their match will get paired against people who have the worst tiebreakers by the, the pairing system, which on its surface sounds good. It sounds like you're going to promote the best players, right? But um, if, say, you get paired against the, the guy who won the tournament the year before and you drop a game, then you're on the back foot the entire tournament trying to catch up because you're getting paired with the people who finish the strongest every round. Every time, yeah. And uh, that could be really frustrating for someone like me. Yeah. <laughs> um, who has a lot of little goblins who get stumped. Yeah, who occasionally will just, you know, barf up six glory to my opponent because... And they're, and they're designed to work that way. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, and they, they generate a ton of, of glory as well. So, you know, there's that trade-off. Um, the other problem I had was in game or in day two, there was a buy, um, which I had not had any experience with. Oh, yeah. Um, if you get a buy, it's a huge boon to your, uh, your it's chances. It's a 25-point glory differential. Ridiculous. Like, I once won, uh, I once won a, a kit tournament, like a shade glass tournament. Yeah. Um, I played, it was a, it was a, each round was a best of one. I got a buy in the first round. Right? Yikes. And then I played two games, won them both, and won the tournament. Yeah. Took home the glass. And I felt like I didn't really do anything because I didn't really do anything. And I, I certainly don't want to take anything away from the people that played in that tournament with me. Everybody who I played the whole time, everybody who I saw playing was absolutely awesome. Um, it's just a, a system that could use a tweak or two, like maybe cut to top four or eight. <laughs> You should, well, you were suggesting that the cut should be however many um, undefeateds there are. You should cut to whatever number, you know, two, four, six, two, four, yeah. eight, 16 below that. So you were saying that if there's um, six undefeateds, you should cut to the top eight. Yeah. And then at least those people who spent all day not losing a match, you know, they get to at least go into elimination rounds. And, and I, you know, having come from, uh, you know, X-Wing, you know, X-Wing is always a cut to the top 16 or the, at least at those major tournaments. Yeah. And they, and it usually happens on the second day. So you'll play like, uh, you'll play one day. And if there's enough people, you know, you'll have two heats. I don't know if we'll ever get that at, uh, anytime soon, but, um, but, you know, they'll do like one day they'll, and then they'll cut to the top 32 or the top, you know. 16 or however many, many people it is and then they get to vie for the title sing, single elimination i think that that's a little bit more fair and also it you know you have two days anyway right you know and then you can have another you know side tournament like the one that you were in on day two but have that for the people who didn't make the cut yeah and and i actually have quite a bit of experience with that kind of structure also from legend of the five rings whenever we had a major tournament we had a grinder day where people would qualify you know, and then on the second day, you would have the big deal and you would have a, a second chance tournament for everybody else. You know, I, I think that's a better way to do it. And I think it makes more sense all around. 
And and I will also say that I have benefited from from wonky matching in Legend of the Five Rings. Um, when they did the re-release of the new game, the the very first tournament was uh, it was the biggest um, LCG card tournament ever. It was called the Kiku Matsuri, and it was at Gen Con, and I won. No. Um, but I won because there wasn't a cut. I just had the best Swiss record. Nice. Oh yeah. What clan do you play in Legend of the Five Rings? Uh, Phoenix. Oh. Nice. Oh, here we go. You guys gonna talk about that now? No. <laughs> no, we're good. Um, I, I've I've given up on that game, but uh, you know, that also didn't kind of from Bryce's point of view, I suppose. You know, I felt kind of the same thing. That didn't feel great. Like, no. I won. I got number one. But did I? Did you, you know? Anybody? Did you beat right. the best people? Right. Exactly. Exactly. That would be like if you were like, you know, if it was the NBA playoffs and whoever had, uh, you know, won their series in four games is the champion of the playoffs. Exactly. Yeah. Not not necessarily who played, you know, the top two match, but whoever had the fewest losses in in the the run up, which could just be match dependent. Yeah. Yeah. So I would like to see I think I think the best fix is is a bigger top cut. I would also like to see some changes to the pairing system, but that may not be uh, you know, a doable thing for GW. All right. Well, if they're <clears throat> listening, GW, this is what we're saying. Well, it's just that a lot of it is also the base rules of the game, the way that you score yep. an individual game yeah. sort of but they can, enables they can, this. They can it does stuff. I mean, they do a new kit tournament every, you know, because months, so yeah, sure. because since the tiebreaker ends up being the difference in glory, you know, it it kind of encourages, you know, these blowout games. Like if if you have, you know, if you're a decent player, and you blow out your first two opponents, and and you go two and zero with like you know ten extra glory on them, then you you know you're you're just kind of beating up on people who aren't as good, and then that catapults you into, a lot of times, first place. Yeah, and you'll you'll continue to get paired against people who haven't done as well, which is right. the bummer part of it, you know. Yeah. So I think maybe we should have a you know maybe in the next uh, season there might there maybe should be a change to the base game rules. Yeah, that and, enables and we, you to have more um, relevant turn, tournaments. All right. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. <laughs> all right, we're in agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cheers. All right, so let's talk about what everybody came here for. Let's discuss this new expansion, the Malog's Mob, the one that we will see everybody playing. This is everywhere. the new, the this new boogeyman. Sea of Malogs in this game for until somebody figures it out. Just Malogs as far as the eye can see. Is it beautiful? No. There, there were a lot of them at LVO. There were a lot. I bet there was. And you said uh, that in your game against uh, Curse Breakers, the guy played Cruel Taunt, which is a card that nobody has ever played with before, before Malogs you. came out. Yeah, now Correct. you kind of need it. Because the worst thing you can see across the table from you is an inspired Malog. Yep. And, and it, you know, that, that, that Warband hasn't been around for very long. But yeah, the you, you know the most winning faction of curse breakers have adjusted their deck to be able to fight against him more effectively. He's the underworld's version of an invasive species. Yeah, 
we have no nothing in place to deal with this guy at the moment and he's going to proliferate and take over mm -hmm. okay anyway let's start with the character cards though and i want to start with the squigs because it'll be quicker and okay. also they're, they're 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 funny and also if you play Mologs, you will never you never activate them these, you never activate them you're never going to see what these things do so i'm going to put them <laughs> very quickly just get them out of the way it's, quick it's, it's literally it's like like hey stalax squig what are you doing here i i score extreme flank and that's it Hey, okay. my opponent forgot to place his stalag squig till the third round in one of the games. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Neither of cares, us noticed. Nobody cared. <laughs> Didn't even yeah. use it. All right. Speaking of the stalag squig, which, by the way, is just a fun little model. Let's be fair. Um, I, I have a little idea. Because everything needs to be cute and adorable in Warhammer and these are, nowadays. And these guys are pretty cute. I got to tell you. These guys, uh, especially the stalag squig, I really do like it. All right. Let's start with the stalag squig. All right. So we have a... Uh, we have a a one range attack on smashes, one smash, uh, and one damage. This is uh, uninspired. Does not move. Has uh, can't two... move. Can't no. Can't even. Uh, we'll get to this in a second. There's a lot of stuff. You put great do. speed on him. Still can't move. Doesn't matter. Um, he uh, he's. I assume it's a he. That's like no. Yeah, just, let's go with, let's you're go assuming with his gender. I am. I am assuming gender. I should not be doing that. Um, two. Uh, two shields and two wounds this fighter is not placed i'm reading now this fighter is not placed during setup or counted when determining who finished placing their warband first before you determined who has the first activation in the first round place this fighter on any empty hex including um uh starting hexes i assume this fighter cannot be given an attack action upgrade make a move or charge actions cannot be pushed and cannot hold objectives a lot of stuff it can't do mm. um it inspires when malog has three or more wound tokens on him and then inspired he hits a little bit more sorry it hits a little bit more uh accurately two smashes uh and hits for a little bit harder two damage same deal can't can't be given attack upgrades, make move or charge actions, be pushed or hold objectives. The 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 bottom stat line is exactly the same. What do you guys mm -hmm. think about that? Well, it's interesting that he doesn't get placed in the beginning. So yeah. that you, see, you normally when you have a three model warband like Curse Breakers, for example, the the ability for them to choose whether they go first or second is usually pretty high since they get that extra crit on deployment against most uh, warbands in the game. Mm -hmm. And it's very similar with, with Molog's mob. Even though they have four fighters in their warband, they only end up placing three in the beginning. So they actually have a pretty high chance to go first uh, at the at the start of the game. Or no, choose Steven. whether they want to go first at the start. Steven, anything you want to add? I think I think a lot of people with the Stalag Squig, from what I've seen, um, both from players in my group and the people we played against, um, they're really struggling with what to do with him. Uh, because he is he's can go anywhere right you can put him on an objective you can put him in a in a flanking position you can slap him down to get early um support for molog attacks you can go um, an objective token yeah you can you can block off the little hallway on some of the boards uh and he's just he gives you a lot of options i'm not sure that there's a kind of a set wisdom on what to do with him just yet right and and he does have that utility where you can you know since he can't be pushed 
your opponent can't play like distraction on him, move him off the objective, and then just stand on the objective. Yes. Yeah. So yeah you, uh, like, you have to kill him. Right. Yeah, you have. So you have to just kill him. You have to smash him. Yeah. But the problem is, a lot of times when you play Malog, you you do not want to give your opponent any chance to kill any of your guys. Yeah. Before Malog, you know, gets inspired and and gets a bunch of his upgrades, because when you know fighters have upgrades, there's a way higher chance of him dying. Uh, Absolutely. During, during the game. So, you know, a lot of times you want to use the Stalag Squig to sort of screw with your opponent's game plan, but if they do end up attacking him and killing him, then they might score some objective cards or throw some upgrades on that can put Malog in danger. Yeah, and, and I will tell you that guy is especially frustrating if they um, misdirect your Frozen in Time onto him, because then you can't kill him. Oh, yeah, it's true. You can't and, damage him. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't take damage. Yeah. Right? And so uh, I actually had that happen to me in one of my games, and, and he was on an objective token that I kind of needed to be on. Yeah. Um, That's interesting. So he's an interesting character. I don't know if he's good. Okay, but there but there is some utility for him. Just got to be for careful. Sure. All right, so let's move on to the Spite Shroom, which looks like something that I've seen after taking a mushroom. Mm-hmm. But you yeah. don't do that. No, I don't. No, yeah, you I, just I read about it in a Chuck Palahniuk book. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah. All right. Anyway, forget it. <laughs> we can we can edit that out. No, we don't. All right. So Spite Shroom um, has an attack called Choking Cloud, which targets all agenemy, uh, agenemies, all agenemy fighters. <laughs> all agenemies. No, there are all agenemies now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Adjacent enemies. Agenemies. Yeah. It's like. Yeah, no, like it's frenemies. Like, it's like Jennifer, like the the Benefer, right? Yeah, Benefer. Okay, we got it. It's like the Benefer <laughs> of, of of Underworlds. I, it's okay. We can edit that out. All right. It's a solid, so, I'm not like, editing anything. No, no, we got a Genemies. I got it. Okay. All right. So so it targets all Genemies uh, fighters. Uh, roll for each. Um, also inspires if Malog has three wounds. In fact, that's what they all do. Mm -hmm. So they all inspire when Malog gets hit a little bit. Um, it's, it's, it's one, uh, distance, it's two on swords and one, uh, one damage. And then the bottom line is two movement, one defense on dodges and two wounds. This fighter cannot be given attack action upgrades or hold reaction or hold, uh, objectives reaction during an attack action or gambit that has dealt enough damage to this fighter to take it out of action, but before removing it from the battlefield, adjacent fighters, adjacent enemy fighters suffer one damage. And then when he is, uh, it is inspired. It looks exactly the same, except they do two damage on their attack and they have two dodges rather than one. Does the explosion do more when he's inspired or no? uh no okay still one yep. what do you think about this guy steven okay, what do we do with this guy so i actually i, I actually kind of like this guy with one exception that he moves two, which is mm. just wretched um but uh you know uh all if he does get inspired are mad at you right now what's that all the dwarf players are mad at you for saying that that's fine i can only move two yeah um they I do like the the um, area of effect attack, particularly on the back. Like uh, a two damage area of att effect attack is nothing to to uh, discount. Um, what I I don't 
particularly like about him is that his little bomb trick, which I, I think is very cool, um, only goes off on attacks. Uh, no, it could be a gambit. Oh, or, or gambits, I'm sorry. Uh, which, which, of course, for me, coming from my kind of like, uh, you know, one point of view meant that if Snurk killed him, he didn't blow oh, up. That's an action. Yeah, or if he runs into like a lethal hex, you can't like kind of makazi him. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, I do think he's probably, and this is going to go against the like traditional wisdom of the the Molox players, I think, who tend to really love the bat squig. I think that this guy is probably your second best model. Really? Okay. Well, again, I mean, he has the, he's weak. He's only has two health and one dodge. Yeah. And so you don't, you know, you do not want this guy to get killed before okay. you're able to at least kill one or two of your opponent's uh, figures. But the fact that he, he can kind of play defense. So like if, if, you know, your opponent tries to get to your side of the board or if they end up having, you know, more than one model in your side of the board, he can get in there with his AOE attack. Yeah, and he can he can kind of be used like Molog in a way if you do that hallway thing where you can kind of lock down the center pathway of the board with him if someone does manage to get past Molog, you know? Yeah. Okay. All right, so uh, so let's move on to the bat squig then. Or the squidgen as people were trying to get Max's involved. favorite guy. I, I do I, like squidgen. You know, here's the thing. I, you know, I don't come from an AOS background. I don't really have any affinity for squigs, but this is pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, it lo it basically looks like uh, one of the, uh, yeah, it looks like one of the ones from the goblins, but he's flying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah pretty cool. All right. Anyway. Well, there is very, no, very there is, this is, there is no bat squig in Age of Sigmar. There's no fl like flying squig. Oh, no. In Age of Sigmar. This is like a. This is like a new thing. That's why everybody was really what excited are about it. Squigs like possessed objects. No, squigs are typically just you know creatures that follow around the the orcs. Okay. And they usually they're they're the orcs consider them or goblins or whatever. The orcs consider them kind of like to be very expendable. They're kind of like dogs, sort of like they kind of keep them on like leashes and have them help them hunt. But they're also like really expendable. They'll they'll strap bombs to them. Or, uh, you know, in Blood Bowl, like, the orc team has the, the like, and in Blood Bowl, every team has their own, like, specific ball. And the orc team has a squig it's with its ball. legs cut off. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is weird. All right, anyway, so Bat Squig has, uh, the attack is called the Toothy Maw. And, and a Toothy Maw he certainly has. Um, we have uh, one distance, two swords, one damage. Uh, same inspire mechanic, uh, three or more wounds to Molog. You're, sorry, a friendly Molog, of course, because you might be playing against the Molog. Um, a four distance movement, two dodges uh, for defense, and two wounds. This fighter treats lethal hexes as normal hexes and can move through occupied hexes, but cannot end their move in an occupied hex. A little bit like a chain rasp. Um, this fighter cannot be given attack action upgrades or hold objectives, but it can be pushed and all that other stuff. And when inspired, very similar to what happens to Spike Shroom, um, picks up a little bit more damage and a little bit more speed and one more defense dice on a dodge. So it goes to one, two, and two for the attack and five, three, and two for the defense line. Um, same information on the back, really. All right. So, what do we think about this bat squig? 
Squidgen. Five, five move, three defense is, is very solid. Um, very good, I think. What do you do with them, though? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do with them? You score extreme plank with them. You score extreme, yeah. You put the last squig on one side, you put the bat squig in the middle, or maybe just start him on the edge. Because he'll get to either edge, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. That's it. I can't think of anything else. You're not going to like go kill things with it. I mean, I think the idea is for him to be like a supporting fighter for Malag, you know, because he can get in and and provide that extra supports in there. But he is fast, yeah. He, yeah, that, that's an activation you don't use to move Malag, which is a bad activation. Yeah. yeah. It would be nice to, you know, to have him, since he's so fast and he's kind of useless, it would be, it, it's kind of like how I used to play with uh, Reavers or Orcs, where you just kind of move your less powerful guys into a position where they can then, you, know, you can charge in with Gerzag or yeah. Garrick or whatever, and then you'll have a support, you know, the the support dice will help you hit more accurately. And I think that's but, probably yeah. what he's for. But the problem is that you have to end up using an activation to get him there, which is not, you know, normally, normally you, you in an ideal world, you'd like to be activating Molog all four times in every yeah. round. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, do you guys remember that scene from Contact where, uh, where the character goes and, and is describing what space looks like on her journey. And she says, like, you should have sent a poet. Okay. We should send a poet to describe this monologue. Cause it's like looking at the, it, looking at the deepest, darkest parts of the universe here. Look at this amazing card with all of these giant numbers. Hmm. There's a tear in my eye. Right he now. puts it's all just, other fighters to shame. Oh my God. They literally, like, they were just, the, the developers were probably sitting in a room going like, all right, what else do you want to throw on this yeah. thing? <laughs> Let's go. Okay, here we go. Molog the Mighty. It's an understatement. Okay, he's got two attacks. Two. Two, different, two different attack actions. Oh, my lord. He's got the, the makeshift club, which looks really hard to paint, by the way. Um, two distance, so he can hit you from two hexes away two smash which is always pretty good three damage to start knock back one okay we have that then we have the whirling club which by the way it says it targets all adjacent enemy fighters roll for each Mm -hmm. uh this is a little bit less accurate and a little bit less damaging uh and a little bit shorter range it's it's a one distance two swords and two damage but, you know, against a bunch of, you know, chain rasps or a bunch of, you know, goblins, it doesn't sound too bad. And then it ha- he has a three, uh, three movement, one, one shield defense, and a full seven wounds. He's two fighters in one. This is like the giant. Or we play that game with the giant? Gargant, I know. Yeah. It's like the Gargant with slightly less wounds. Mm-hmm. I feel like Gertzag is just crying into a beer. It's like, whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, what is that giant thing, he says. Gerzag and Fuel Grimnir are like at the bar, like, like being like, I thought we were good. Like, so irrelevant now. Yeah. yeah. God. Anyway, and then go to Hold his uh, text. Keek becomes in... Oh, sorry, yeah, that's right. Uh, this fighter... Hold on. Wait a minute. 
Hey guys, what do you want to throw on this next? Oh, I got an idea. I got an idea. How about if this fighter can make a move or charge action, even if it already has a single move token, but not if it has a charge token. All right, that's not too bad, right? Oh, wait, what about when he's inspired? Okay, well, when he's inspired, they give him an extra damage for his club. So now he can one-shot everything else. Hmm no matter what it is, and let's add a little knockback on that knockback two, so you can knock things back three hexes. Mm -hmm. And then for the whirling club becomes more accurate and you get to be uh, uninspired Riptooth for everything around you. Yep. Pretty great. Uh, the bottom stat line, though, stays the same. Hey, guys, what else you want to throw on this thing? Well, I got one more thing for you. You ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? We're all ready. This fighter can make a move or charge action, even if it has a single move token or a single charge token, but not if it has both right. or more and, than one. And, you know, know, charging twice was was too good. So we had to ban time trap. Right. But not... Right. The thing that we banned yeah. will now just put yeah. in the text of a fighter card. Mm -hmm. What happened here, Steven? Uh, I... I don't know, man. Why did he's, you? He's really why did good. you write, Stephen? Stephen Van? Why did you write this card the way you did? I, I really wanted to drive as many sepulchral guard players out of playing anymore. <laughs> yeah. Who? Uh, but you could just bring them back. Yeah, then he can put. Then he kills them again with to, get yeah, another with, fifteen glory in one shot with the tome that gives him two glory for killing a guy. God. Yeah. What were they thinking? I don't know. But anyway, so here's the part of the... Remember last week when I said that I thought this game was balanced? Yeah, we thought we were in a good place before. But yeah, anyway, so that. now we're going to talk about... We're going to get salty now. Oh, my God. So I'm, the, I'm so salty a horse came over and licked me. Right. So the the issue I have with this... There's there's a couple issues I have with this warband in general. Um, the, the first one is that there there's really only one way to play this guy. Yep. You have no other... Op you have to play the aggro dump everything into Malog. I cannot wait for some noob to say, oh, I have this objectives-based Malog deck. Well, you can't, because only can. Malog can score objectives unless you have the, the card for the Stalag Squig. Yeah. Like a noob, I told you. So there's really no... You you cannot play the objective strategy. You can't play the passive scoring strategy either, really, because you can't hold objectives. Right. And, you know, you're wasting, you know, the best fighter in the game doing like a passive strategy. You can only play aggro and put every possible action and card into Malog. That's the first thing I don't like. Second thing I don't like is that this is terrible for for new players. Like, you know, you know, an experienced player will think of ways to to defeat Malog and will be able to play around what is what he's able to do. But if you're a new player and, you know, let's say you're a new player and you fight against curse breakers, right? Like, you're probably going to lose, but at least you'll be able to play the game. You'll be able to, like, you know, yeah. move and attack, and yeah. and you might do some damage and, you know, maybe score some of your objective points. But if you're a new player and you play against Malog for the first time, you have no chance. Like, unless the other guy rolls just absolute ice cubes for his, for his attacks with Malog, then you have pretty much no chance. And I wouldn't want to put, like, if, if my first experience with this game was me with my, you know, uh... Reavers or whatever, and I had to play against Malog. Yeah, I would, I would not play this game anymore. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Be like, oh, this 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 game is not balanced. Right. Yeah. And then the second thing, and maybe this is a good thing, but you know, people, because of the existence of this one warband, you are go. You know, I don't care what you say. You are going to have to change your deck. Yeah. To to. Maybe not change the whole thing, but you're going to have to add some cards into your deck specifically to, to counter Malog. Or switch to this faction. You're, like, forced to do that now. Well, I don't know about that, but the, the no, no, you're going to have to change a couple of cards in your deck. Like, you mentioned the guy playing Curse Breakers had Cruel Taunt. You added yeah. uh, Transfixing Stare to your deck. Those cards aren't that powerful against other factions. They're okay. But you know, when you're playing a twenty card deck and you have to make some some hard cuts, those cards don't don't often make it. But now you have to be like, well, what if I play against Malog? But yeah, and you will because when you go and to a will. tournament, you'll have to play. Against, you'll when you go to a tournament, if you want any chance of winning, you will have to play against Malog or Curse Breakers at least one time. So, you know, you're gonna have to end up running a card that's suboptimal against Curse Breakers just so you don't immediately lose to Malog. That's so that might be a good thing, like, you know, kind of balancing the game out, making it so everyone's decks are slightly less powerful just to deal with this one guy. Um, Unless you're I don't know. We'll have to see how that plays out. Um, uh, I'm not happy. Yeah. And then the, the, the last thing I really don't like about this is that I feel like it will kind of push, it will, it will sort of widen the gap between what factions are viable and which ones are not. Like uh, Steven said a minute ago, you know, Sepulchral Guard are going to have a really hard time against this guy. Reavers. Yeah, Reavers, Dwarves even. Yep. Dwarves can actually kill, you know, Field Grimnir could actually kill him, but, like, you know, the fact that you can't move that much, you cannot get away from him with Dwarves. No way. And if he one-shots your, your Grimnir before, you know, you can get the upgrades on him, you're toast. Right, and so you and I, uh, Randall, we've played... Um, like three full matches um, against either either by playing Malog or playing against Malog. So we played your Farce Riders and I was playing Malog and then I played with Rob Mead. He was playing Skaven and I was playing Malog and then I played against you with my Magor deck. Mm -hmm. Every game was a blowout loss. Well, no, uh, and then I want to mention that all of those games, our decks were not pecked against Malog. That's true. But I'm just saying, if you're not text again, teched against him, you have no chance. Like it seems really, really negative if yep. you're not if you're not putting in cards specifically to deal with this one behemoth. Mm -hmm. yeah. The other thing I don't like about him, and we'll get into this in the next second section, is that a lot of his specific warband cards are really bad. Yeah, and the ones that are good are basically just essentially reprints of other cards that are already good or on the restricted list. Do you want to get into that now? So I think we can go to that. Yeah. All right. Good. Great. Segue. That's a good segue. All right. So Stephen, on your blog, CollegeShadeSpire.com, which everybody should go and check out right now, um, you you have um, these uh, different articles versions. I've had. What do you call them? Like different yeah, like kind of categories of what I'm writing about in any given day. Why don't you tell us about it? So um, I have a few different categories that I, I do pretty often. Um, the serious ones are, or you know, we're all playing with toys, but uh, more serious. Uh, cardiology, which is where I focus on a single card. See, it's a pun. Yeah, it's good. I hear um, Hex in the City, where I talk about a particular board. 
Uh, I, I like that one. Hex in the city. Also, also well done. Dig it. And then top model where I talk about a particular, you know, fighter. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. That's great too. These are great names, but actually my favorite is the one you do for the crappy cards. Yeah. Which is bottom decking. And I usually do it when I'm like too busy to do math. So good. Um, yeah. So, so, so we're, so we're going to go through um, some of the cards from the expansion. We're not going to hit every single one. Because then we would just be here forever. But we're and gonna... most of them are terrible. So yeah, most of them, well, most of them are just like kind of mediocre. mediocre. Yeah. So yeah. we're gonna go through the ones. Uh, the, the, so we're gonna do cardiology on the ones that are good, and we'll do bottom decking on the ones that are like clear, hot garbage trash. Yeah. All right. Sounds so good. we're gonna get started by talking about the faction specific objectives, and the first one that we have is called demolished. And Demolished says, score this immediately if a friendly fighter takes an enemy fighter out of action with an attack action with a damage characteristic of five or more. Yeah, right. this one's pretty easy to get with Malog since you need essentially one upgrade and for him to be inspired. And then anytime you kill anyone, you can score this immediately. Immediates are always good. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like another advancing strike a little bit, sort of. Yeah, very you just strong. Just kill a guy and you get an immediate glory. Yeah, especially since you can kill him from two away. Yeah, yeah. Stand on the outside and just and and if you're playing the way that Justin from the from the Battlecast discussed, where you play like in the hallway, again, you you can the entire left side and right side of the board is available to you from that distance. Yeah. Very smart. All right, so so we like that card if you're playing this uh, this uh, warband, and then uh, the next one that we like is called Got Them. And this is score this immediately at the beginning of your activation. If there are three or more adjacent uh, friendly fighters adjacent, fr sorry, three or more agenemies fighters. Okay, I'm going to do it again. Hold on. Score <laughs> this immediately because I've got to stop. Reading is hard. It's, it's really difficult. Yeah. You have to do it the entire time. Uh, score this immediately at the beginning of your activation if there are three or more enemy fighters adjacent to a friendly Molog two glory yeah that's a score immediately for two glory and it's not that difficult to do yeah yeah i the reason that i like this one um is that i compare it in my head to obliterate which was just a, a game winner for me all tournament um it's a two score immediately that basically you can set up with one card mm -hmm. center of attention center of attention or you center can push him yeah yeah you can push your opponent into him because it has to be at the start of your activate. So you can't just, you know, charge in, right, and get it. But you can you have to, you can set it up with cards pretty easily. Yeah, and especially with the uh, the um, commanding stride. Yep. Yeah, that's a push onto the starting hex. Yep. Yeah. Um, so there, you have all of these options of cards you should probably be playing anyway that will just happen to go off and score you two points. Yeah, and this one also, it's like, it's not like one of those ones, like a trash card where it says, like, if your fighter is adjacent to four enemy fighters, and then you, you just literally can't get it against Curse Breakers or Steelheart or Farstrider or whatever. This yeah, one could happen against any warband in the game. Yeah, and then, of course, what you've done is now it's the beginning of your activation, and you have three guys in range of your Whirlwind attack. Yeah. AOE man, go for it. And that's it. That's the only objectives. <laughs> that's the only objectives that we thought were were worth 
taking maybe um demolished definitely um okay so we, and we were one... still even kind of fence about on the on the fence about got them like that requires a, a yeah. decent amount of setup There's some setup um, yeah so for for bottom decking really terrible card we have is it asleep which is says let's read that uh, one let's read this one let's see if i can do it without screwing up uh score this in an end phase it's just english score this in an end phase if a friendly molog took no actions in the preceding act what you only get one for that by the way if you just do yep. nothing and score in the molog. end phase for one glory why would you do nothing with molog steven he's dead yeah oh so it's only the only dead. reason yeah i guess because like we said you before don't want to die though do you no, if if he's dead, you have so many bigger problems. Yeah, you have like losing the game problems. Because yeah. all your all your other objectives depend on him being alive. Yeah. And like we said before, there's since you can't really do anything with the the other models other than maybe attack or screw with your opponent a little bit. There's really no other strategy that would allow this card to to work you know like if you were if if all the other squigs could hold objectives and you just kind of moved them around and sort of just used um Malog like as a blocker or you know as a as a defensive yeah. model you, you can't even do. do that yeah because no. none of your guys can hold objectives so if it was like if severin steelheart takes no actions in the last round score point that'd be totally worth it right you could stall play stallheart and and use it, but yeah. not with Moloch. Yep. <laughs> no but really, the only time you're ever going to get this is if he's dead, and you're probably not going to win that game anyway. And, also, and this isn't going to help you because it's only one glory in the end phase. So and yeah. and, and you never plan for losing, right? So you don't want to do that, yeah. All right, so we'll move on to the uh, to the the gambits, the faction specific gambits, cardiology. So this is a good card. We're going to start with uh, predatory growls. Predatory Growls, which says deploy. It has a really scared Skaven dude on that. And it says uh, choose an enemy fighter and push them one hex. Which is literally distraction with it's a different name. It's, yeah. So you can have two of those now. Yeah. Which is pretty good. Pretty yeah, good. it's really important with Malog. Because if they try to run away or get out of his like three, out of his two range. Push him while right still back. being relevant you can just push him right back yep. you can push guys into him so you can get the uh got them or set up a aoe attack or if they're sitting really far back and you see them setting up supremacy you can just knock one right off at the end yep right yeah like if you can't get to the chain rasp or the petitioner like all the way in the back who's getting um supremacy you can just push him off there Right. And then you can even the game out so they have even less upgrades and less inspired guys to um or to kill Malak. Using, uh What's that? The arcane nexus. What's the one that has like the 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 pyramid? Uh, the, uh, the soul refractor. Soul refractor. So because I I know you can you can sit behind one of those and then Malak can't hit you because you don't have like line of sight. Yeah. But then you can use this and just like kind of shift him over so he's in one of those lanes and then get him. Yep. A lot of things you could do. So yeah, the, and the and the thing I'm upset about is that this is one of the, the this is basically the only uh, gambit that we se selected here, and yeah, it's literally the, just a reprint of another card. It's just distraction. It's crap. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's it, it's sorry, it's crap that they don't have better ones in there. Yeah. But as far as any of them go, predatory growls is like kind of the one. Uh, speaking of crappy cards, here are some two 
that are in there that are pretty bad. All right, so the first one is called Hobble. And Hobble says, deploy, choose an enemy fighter adjacent to a friendly stalax squig and roll an attack dice. On a roll of a hammer or a crit, place a move token next to that enemy fighter. What do you think about that one, Steven? Well, there's this universal ploy out there that I've been using a little bit that just puts a move token on a guy. And it's um, better. Yeah, it's just better in, in every way. And I, of course, for the life of me, cannot remember what it's called. So I'm Tra not... Transfixing stare. stare? Transfixing Stare, yeah. I mean, you can literally play Transfixing Stare in Mologs. Yeah. Better than this. And it's better than yeah. this. Because it doesn't require a dice roll. And you don't have to roll anything. It doesn't require yeah. a dice roll. It can be. It doesn't have to be adjacent. And it doesn't... It's not tied to a, a relevant model. Yep, exactly. And Hobble and if, Hobble's garbage. And if your idea is, well, here's what I'm going to do. They're going to use like this guy in the back, and you know, the, or or let's say it's even like their Molog, right? Yeah. You can you can put the Stalax Squig next to the Molog right before you start, and then play that in the first power step. But you could just use Transfixing Stare in that same situation. Yeah, or or alternately, you know, you're rolling a single attack die. That is also what the stalag squig hits on. So I mean, you could just be attacking with the stalag squig. Yeah, I don't know. Very just doesn't seem good. And if you do that on Malog right away, he's just going to kill the stalag squig. Yeah, and then move yeah. again. Yeah, because exactly. yeah, because he can do that. Speaking he can of... he can just have two move tokens. Speaking of other crappy cards that are uh, ploys and you need to roll for, uh, here's another one. Uh, also faction-specific called There the Whole Time. Uh, this ploy says roll an attack dice on a roll of a, a hammer or a crit. Return a friendly stalax squig that has been taken out of action on any hem empty hex on the battlefield. Steven, why is this not a good card? Uh, well, 50-50, right? Um, never want to see that unless it's like a really game-altering effect. And the, right. the one that I would compare it to at this point in time, of course, is is Frozen in Time. Right. Um, and and you're basically getting back your worst model. Um, it's yeah. Of, it's, just, it, it's kind of like a trap card. Like, it looks like it might be good. Oh, if Slashwig dies, we can bring it back. But it's like, what are you going to do with your Slashwig anyway? Yeah, and how often is it going to die? How I mean, yeah, it's good. It. it has it's so tanky. It's got like so much defense. Yeah, and it it, it is. I mean, the way that I've been playing against Molags, at least I have been doing a, a lot of killing of the Squigs because they're pretty easy to farm for glory. But I don't know that you want to put your guy back out there if it gets killed to get farmed again. Yeah. Yeah, not feeling it. The fact that it's a dice roll really kills it for me. For sure. Yeah, because when you have cards in the game like uh, there are always more, or you know the what's that one that the the skeletons have where the guy just comes back. Yeah, you just those put don't a guy require. Out yeah, those don't require a dice roll. The, I guess the the trade off is that the stalag squid can be placed anywhere while the the skaven or undead have to be on the starting hexes. Yeah, and and I mean, I guess what it's telling you is like you clearly put it in the wrong spot the first time. So here's your chance to fix yeah. that. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. All right. Well, uh, let's move on to the, to the upgrades, the faction specific upgrades. We actually have a couple good ones here. Uh, the first one we're going to talk about is blooming spores. 
And uh, this is a Molog restricted upgrade, which is fine by me because it gives you <laughs> one damage to this fighter's attack action with a range of one or two. Right. So you want to run two cop. You want to run uh, great strength and incredible yeah. strength, but incredible strength is restricted. So you can't. So we'll just. Uh, they gave us this. So they card. just gave you another copy of great Here, strength. Just another one. Yeah. Just enjoy everybody. Mm -hmm. enjoy the carnage so again you know this is the third or fourth time where we're saying we like this card literally because it, it is a enough. reprint of a restricted card yes yeah all right uh steven i can't imagine there's anything you need to add to that no I, I i think it's you put it in every time yep i think you do too uh and another one another reprint of a restricted, restricted card is called foul temper which says you can re-roll one dice in each attack roll for this fighter's attack actions, which I feel like I've heard that before. Oh, it's Awakened Weapon. Yeah, and this one also is not restricted to just Molog either. Oh, yeah, you can put this on any of your... Of course, you're going to put it on Molog, but yeah. Yeah, it's... Hey, let's it, make him more accurate too. Yeah. And that's really what he needs, right? Like, I mean, the, the great strength is is cool. Um, but once he's inspired, he's killing 90% of the models in the game already. Um, but, man, upping his accuracy is a huge deal. Zoiks. Right, because that's one of the only ways that you'll lose with Malag is, if, you know, if he either, either if he gets stymied by your opponent's ploys or you yep. just roll terribly. Or, or your opponent gets really lucky with his attacks and kills him. So this kind of eliminates one of those lose conditions. For sure. And and the guy that I played against, or no, I'm sorry, not the guy that I played against, the guy that one of our other groupmates played against played it and Awaken Weapon. So, oh, all right, okay. Oh, so you can just, just, you don't like your roll, do the whole thing over again. Yeah. Does that stack? I guess yeah, so, right? Uh, you yeah. roll the same one two times? Oh, you can't, well, I guess not, right? You can't roll the same dice twice, but you can re-roll both of them. Like if you, you whiff on both dice, you can re-roll both of them if you have both of the upgrades. But you can't roll, like if you get like a crit and nothing, you can't roll that nothing two times. Correct. Roll Correct. Once. Okay. Correct. That makes sense. Okay. So there's a little rules thing for those of you out there. Um, okay. And now we're going to get to our uh, a bottom decking for uh, the upgrades here, which you've actually talked about uh, on your blog. And yeah, I did. I, I wrote a little yeah, article on Jabber Toad. Which, by the way, I'm really upset that this isn't a good card because it's like part of the model. You have to, you have to, you have to paint this thing. Yep. Like, and it's not just terrible. All right. Yeah. So yeah. Th this reminds me of uh, it, the the Zinch, uh, the Eyes of the Nine have an upgrade where um, Turash gets his his defense becomes a shield. Oh yeah. Because he has a shield on his back. So you have to put an upgrade on him for him to put his shield in his hand and get yep. better. Yeah, dice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so. And I would encourage everyone to go to the Call It Shadespire blog and read the Jabber Toad article because not only is it informative, but it's also hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. Give us the TLDR. Uh, don't, don't, don't ever. Don't it goes away if you miss. Right. <laughs> so it's just thematic. Yeah, it's, that's that's the best thing about it. Exactly, literally yeah. a meme. Hard. Yep. Okay. How about this? Like, 
I, I challenge anybody out there to play Molugs. Put this in their deck. Use it and still win. They probably still win. Uh, you probably could, but Well, sorry, sorry, win because of it. Win because of it? That's that's, that's harder. Impossible. Yeah, that's yeah. harder to do. That's hard mode right there. Like you have to you have to kill Mol uh, you have to kill Magor from three away with the Jabber Toad. Well, I think you have to play those uh, objectives where you get objective points for killing someone with a one damage attack. Yeah, like precise use of force or uh, oh no no what's the what, no what's the other one? Bigger they are. Uh, bigger they bigger are. Bigger they are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can also no. sort of get the hence on this. It's got knockback one, I guess. Sure. I think you should make a Jabber Toad centric deck. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. Can use bag of tricks to fish out Jabber Toad. <laughs> right. There you go. Put him on. Yikes. Yeah. And then what Don't. else what else can we get with this? We can get we can do um precise use. We can do uh, bigger they are. Bigger finish they are. them. We can do finish them. We can do uh get the hence. We can do what else we got? That's like a five point kill off yeah. Jabber Toad. I challenge anybody out there to get a five glory kill with a Jabber Toad. Videotape that. Send it in. Put it on our it's put it on our uh, on our website on the on the Facebook page. Yep. I want to see this. Or we have another really bad one that we could talk about. It's like it's like the perfect game of uh, of Underworlds. Yeah, and I I actually think this other one is worse than Jabber Toad. It's less funny, but oh man, yeah, it is bad. Let's go. This is a uh, rooted to the spot. Let's talk about this one. Uh, this you put it on the Stalax Squig. And now this fighter can hold objectives, even though this fighter card says that it cannot. So, so now you have two models that can hold objectives. But not three, right. so you can't yeah. score supremacy. Mm -hmm. Plus, if you're going to do anything with this, you would have to put Molog on a an objective and have him stay there. Yeah. Yeah. Right, which why would you do that? Yeah, for for some other warbands, like it, this might not be a terrible thing. Like if you gave this to Godsworn so that their their dumb dog cat thing could hold an objective, it might be worth thinking about. But in a a warband where literally nobody else can do that, yeah, it's not yeah. good. It's not good. They're, I'm really disappointed that they put a bunch of like meme stupid cards <laughs> for the Stalag Squig in this. Warband that don't actually make them any better. Correct. Like, yeah. Yeah. You may have, yeah. The listeners may have noticed that like three out of four of our really bad cards so far have been about Stalag Squig. Yeah. Why? What are you going to do with the Stalag? And there's even this other one called Wrath of the Living Rock, which is just a meme, and it says this fighter's attack actions have cleave. So your Stalag Squig has cleave now. Yeah. Like, come on. Hey, he's like, hey guys, come on over here so I can bite you. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. But, oh, right. you put that card on your Slag Squig? Guess yeah, I'm yeah. running away from him. Oh, you can't catch him. Don't need to deal with that guy. Yeah. Forget it. All right. All right. So let's move on to the universals. Uh, we'll start with the objectives. So for cardiology, we have two. Um, the first one is called Get the Hence, which we've mentioned a little bit already. This is a score immediately if a friendly fighter. Uh, if a friendly fighter's attack action drives an enemy fighter back two or more hexes and you score one. So basically... I love this card. It's not. It's pretty good, actually. I think that any any faction that has any fighter that has knockback, you can throw this in there and all they have to do is land one hit. Similar mm -hmm. to what armor, even. 
Yeah, and Knockback was kind of, you know, for a long time, Knockback was kind of considered like an inferior. Yeah. Um, it like it, it uh, I don't know, text on a card, inferior word on a card to something like cleave or. It's nice to have it. I don't think anybody would like, you know, say right. Take it off. There wasn't really a reason to to like build cleave. around it. Right. Yeah, and but, you know, there were certain things you could do, like if you're playing like objective based warbands, having the knockback was was handy. To just move guys out of position to to knock you off of the objectives, yeah. But there I wasn't mean, really a real reason to build for it, and this now does. Maybe it, it allows into that. Maybe Igor deck because you know Zarkus has it. Maybe it goes into a Curse Breaker deck if you're playing aggro. Well, the the parts the the places where I really like it is in skeletons and orcs because um yeah. they they're kind of those are factions that are kind of languishing right now, and this is just an easy score immediately card that they can now add to their deck that sort of powers up their weaker fighters like the prince and uh basha yep yeah i i like it as a as a play leveler um for some of some of the folks that that don't have as many options right now i don't think it it adds a whole lot to people who are already strong which is fine um but it does definitely give you some some quick options on particularly skeletons yeah that's why I like it. Is it yeah, it, it's it's like for a faction that's already really good, there's there's better choices than this, I think. Yeah. But for those factions that that need the help, this really helps. All right. Just cuz it's so easy to do and it's a score immediately which they they needed. A lot of those lower tier warbands got a lot of their favorite cards, you know, put on the restricted list which crippled them a lot. Mhm. And this one isn't. So it's nice. I like this one. Anyway. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, the next one that is an objective from the the universal cards in this pack is called Giant Slayer, which I'm going to give the silver medal for uh, for the art on it because it has Snurk hitting Malug in the face with his uh, with his like ball and chain. Yeah, nice. which by the way is a real bad idea. Don't. Yeah, don't. don't, don't <laughs> but it's but it's funny. I, I will give that second place because there's another one that I'm going to get to in a second, which I think is first place for art. Um, and so this is called Giant Slayer. Score this immediately if your warband takes this fight uh, a fighter with a wounds characteristic of five or more out of action. It's immediate and you get two for doing this. Mm. But it's wounds characteristic. So that means if you can either kill Gerzag, you can kill Molog with anybody. Your warband just has to take him out. Or... You can kill anything that has, like, let's say, sudden growth or deathly fortitude or great fortitude or anything that adds wounds to the wound characteristic, which are very popular. Plays. Yeah, whichever you place. Yep, yeah, this, absolutely. this, yeah, I think this you helps out a lot. Yeah. yeah, that you could possibly score, especially towards the end of a game. Yeah, and you might say, oh, well, it's really hard to kill a guy with, you know, wounds five, but you're going to have to. Yeah, too. yeah. And in some cases, you have to. And, you know, you I, can chip away at him, you know, you can get him to three, and then he puts the, you can get, let's say you get him to one wound, and then he puts uh, sudden growth on. You can, you know, you can just kill him with, he has three wounds left, and you still get Giant Slayer. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. I, and I don't think a lot of people will think of it that way until they get some experience playing it. But I do that all the time. When a goblin gets injured, I will put on sudden growth onto Drigzit or someone like that. And then he... Then he triggers that if you kill him, right? 
Yeah, it's it, you know, it's it when you read it at first, you're like, oh, how am I going to kill somebody with five? But it happens a lot, you know. Uh, yeah. Even even the war bands that have only guys that have three health, when once that sudden growth goes on, that that's fair game. Yeah, and then you know, factions like curse breakers or or magors that have four to start, and then they like to put great fortitude on. You know, it it, it getting to five wounds is something that happens quite a lot in the in the game right now. I think if you are playing a deck that kills people, you should consider Giant Slayer because you will almost always have a target for yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, and it's a, and it's a big if for an immediate. It's it's too glory for an immediate. It's a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dig it. All right, cool. So uh, now we're going to bottom deck a little bit here, um, and now for first prize for card art, and also a bottom deck card. Um, there's didn't even want it which is just one of the goblins going like, meh. Yep. Like, I, don't, I don't even want that. It's fine. I, I, I don't even know where to start with this card. It says, score this at an end phase if, hey guys, get this. If an enemy fighter is holding objective number one, but not any of the other ones. For one glory. Has to be one. Oh yeah, and you get one. That's right. Score in the end phase in for one phase, glory, so we automatically it. don't like it. If that was immediate, I still wouldn't use it. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah, because you have no idea where one is going to be. It has to be an enemy fighter. It's not like you can stand on it, right? Your opponent has to make the choice to go stand on that that thing, you know? And Um, a lot of warbands don't care about standing on the objectives at all, so... Yeah. Right. You might have to set this up with another card. You might have to distract them onto that or something like that. No, but then they have to be there in the end phase. Yeah, it's just a truly horrible card. Yes. Here, um, a challenge to all of our listeners out there. Score this God card. Take a picture of it. Put it up on the Facebook page. I dare you to put it in your deck. I dare you? I'm really looking forward to when the other four of them come out. Just what, packing what a deck. Don't? I mean, do well, you think that's going to happen? Have... Oh, I'd be so disappointed if it doesn't. Uh, oh, okay. I just want it. The next, to... we're going to say uh, you can have it. That's going to be the next card, and then like it's like. Oh, you're interested in that? Whatever. That's going to be the third like, one. Okay, just I a guess. card called Okay, I guess. Yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, just like all these, uh, you know, cards about just yeah, yeah. That that'll be that'll be the fifth one. The fifth one. Will that'll be, be my yeah. my teaching new players how to play deck. Is it'll just be hold objective one through five, and then play these. Don't hold objective one through five. Exactly. Then it'll just totally cancel out. I guess. Yeah. All right. Seriously, people, put this card in your deck, score it, put a picture up on the Facebook page. Amazing. All right, uh, moving on. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, oh no, there's – oh, sorry. Uh, no, there's another uh, objective we need to talk about. and uh, this, this one is, is terrible. Terrible. Just the worst. This is called uh, – so, again, we're bottom decking still. This is an, a universal objective called Massive Overkill. Score this immediately. It's immediate. Okay, one glory. Okay, all right. I'm interested. I'm interested. Okay, now I'm reading it. If a friendly fighter takes an enemy fighter out of action with an attack action that deals an amount of damage that is at least twice the target's wound characteristic. Why is this terrible? Sounds like... So there's at least one card, and I'm swearing somewhere in my memory that there's two cards that just do this better. Yes. Yeah. Um, crushing crushing force. force. Yeah. Yeah. Is uh, how That's does that one read? Popular card. 
Uh, hold on, I'd have to. I know that it's it's not that difficult. No, no, crushing forces score immediately if you deal an amount of damage that is double what was required to kill them. Yeah. Okay. Right. So if they're down, right. if they're down to one wound left, and you deal two, you can score it. Yep. Right. Um, and then I'm ninety percent sure that there's another objective where you score it for dealing more damage than their wounds characteristic. Correct. So like if there are four and you hit them for five, then you can score it. Yeah, I don't remember what that one's called, but th but the problem with this one is that you need to do more double the amount of damage of their wound characteristics. So you, when you, you actually sit down and think about it, if you have a fighter that has two health, right? Let's say the chain rasp or a petitioner or something like okay. that. Well, that you might be able to do. Your character needs to be able to do four damage. Okay, right. that 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 could happen, right? Let's say. But let's the see second you go to a the second you want to attack a model that has three health. You now need to do six damage to in order to get that, right? Which is almost impossible for anybody other than uh, Malog. Yeah, basically. It would you All would right. have to have like a lot of like upgrades on Stormsire or like yeah. Fortimus or something like that to, you know, cook off a big magic well, attack. Well, what what if it's a curse breaker? You have four wounds on that thing. You'd have to deal. Yeah, eight. then you'd have to do eight. Yeah. What if he's got great fortitude? Now you got to do ten. Yeah. <laughs> Like, what if he's got to do Deathly Fortitude and Great Fortitude? Yeah, then you need to do 12. You have to yeah. 14 damage in that yeah. case. Yeah. So bad. And, and we've, and we've talked about how those cards are popular right now. So, <sighs> right. For one score immediately thing. I mean, you might as well put in any of the other. Yeah, Crushing Force is the much yeah, better yeah, much version better of this card. Absolutely. Force. Yeah. So, so don't even bother with this massive overkill. Just go straight for crushing. Yeah, don't force. even win with it and take a picture and then put it on our face. But don't even bother with that. I'm not even interested. You'll yeah. never get it. Yeah, forget it. All right. Anyway, let's uh, move on to the uh, the universal gambits. There's actually a few of them here that are pretty good um, for a lot of different things. So let's talk about them. Uh, the first one is called Commanding Stride. Uh, I'm trying this with 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 uh, this card is amazing. I think it's pretty great. Um, push your leader, because he's the leader, up to three hexes. They must end this push on a starting hex. I don't know of any hex that's not within three of a starting hex. I can't think of yeah, a Yeah, it's pretty easy. Thing. The only thing it's that'll pretty, gum you up here simple. is if they have guys on the starting hex, if they if they have their, their models placed on the starting hexes. Yeah. That's the only thing that'll really screw you up. But just a three a three hex push on one of your on your leader. Which is usually your more important best guy, anyway. Guy, it's Gerzag, it's Malog, it's yeah. Nagor. Being able to push them in the power phase can set up a, a, a charge, or push. you could even just push them adjacent to a guy and then just start wailing on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the one that pops to mind, you know, as a comparison for me is uh, there's a dwarf one right that right. moves you three onto an yeah. objective. Yeah, remember that one. Uh, and there's. Uh, there's maybe something three prize, objectives. Prize something. No, it's not tantalizing prize. It's um, that's the one that that's like the opposite. That's, that's another like one, one. Yeah. The there's one that's specific attention. to dwarves that. Yeah. That yeah. does it for an object. You can move like an extra like two or three as long as you go is, onto an objective. An objective, which is what you want to do anyway if you're a dwarf. Yeah. But but when you think about potential targets, like there's maybe three objectives on on one side of the board, but there's seven starting squares. Right. Yeah. Those. Guys yeah. Are Commanding right. stride yeah. is is going to see a lot of play i think yeah the one thing that limits it is it has to be your leader yep yep but so, I mean, 
Yeah, so if your leader's dead, it's not. Yeah, helpful. if he's dead, it doesn't do anything. But yeah, usually yeah. your leader is. I, I I would put this in a deck that, now, that very, came out uh, in an aggro pack, deck. Yeah, that one came out in the leaders pack. That would. Oh boy, been, yeah. yeah, that would have been worth it. All right, that would have been um, worth the thirty-five dollars or whatever. Or whatever it was. Whatever the, it was. I think yeah. it was like twenty thousand dollars for. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So um, the next one from this group is called Shadowed Step. Love this. Love this. Shadowed Step, choose a friendly fighter with no move or charge tokens, okay? And place on a, them on an empty hex in no one's territory center of the board. Place a move token next to them. Um, so this is very similar to... Uh, hidden Paths. Hidden Paths. The only thing is is that... The, the only negative to this is that no man, no one's territory can be very small. But... Because if somebody's playing diagonal or somebody's playing hallway, yeah. Um, but that's still it's like a teleport card, mm -hmm. and and that'll put you like right in the middle of the action. Yeah, it's in the same vein as hidden paths as Fainway Crystal. Sure. You know, all those cards are very powerful because they can allow you to move more than your um, move characteristic, and it's also, you know, you have the element of surprise against your opponent. You know, they weren't they. They cannot plan for you to have a card like that, usually, unless it's like the second or third game. Right. Then they can kind of play around it. And the the other thing is, if you're playing objectives, you can put objectives. In oh, the, yeah, you can put objectives on the midline. Yeah, you can do right that. on it. Um, yeah. You know, if you have a regal vision or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, can, I can see this getting used. Yeah, you can even do it like if you, let's say you have somebody in position to attack, you can move one of your guys and then get support for the guy that's about to attack. You know, you can shadow step one of your dangle bros forward and then ha have him be supporting to a guy that you actually want to roll dice on. Sure. Yeah, you can do it in the power yeah. step right beforehand. Yeah. Absolutely. Very as, good card. As kind of a slight counterpoint, I do want to mention that I tested this before LBO and ended up taking it out. For my particular deck, it didn't do what I wanted it to do because I didn't really want to be in that part of the board. But I think for most people, this is solidly worth looking at. I think right. it's even good for Snurk, though, too, because, you know, like if they end up getting away from Snurk, yeah, you yeah. can kind of just him, put them back in the midline, which is yeah. where they're kind of going to be usually. Yeah, like I ended up pulling it, it yeah. to, put in, to put in distraction, which okay. for me was just more versatile. But um, yeah, if if you have any desire to be engaged with the opponent at all, I think this is worth looking at. Mm -hmm. So uh, moving on now for the new hotness, the anti Molog tech mm -hmm. transfixing stare. Which yeah, says, this card is an... shooting up in popularity. Oh yeah, choose an enemy fighter within two hexes of a friendly fighter and just place a move token next to them. This is like a soft frozen in time that will definitely happen. Yeah, the thing I like about it the most is that there's no dice roll attached to None. it. Yeah, yeah, it just goes off. And, and it's also that, any fighter. Like, it doesn't yeah. have to be your, your leader or anything like that. The it only could problem be... is you have to be within two hexes. Right. So whoever you send in to do this to Molog is still going to get smashed in the face. But um, at least the other people in your group don't. Mm -hmm. But the, the, the cool thing about it is that, you know, let's say if... if Malog is already inspired and he charges you. Then you put the transfixing stare on him. Then he can't attack you or do his extra charge. 
because he already has he has a charge and a move token on him. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened in my game against yeah. Justin. Right. Um, super powerful. Uh, I also like, and this is kind of a a meta feeling about it, but I like that it's not as as negative feeling as Frozen in Time. Um, I had a game, it was against Dave Cutts, where he was down to just having Storm Sire, and I tried to play Frozen in Time on him. Well, it didn't work, so it wasn't the end of the world. But, man, that's a bad feeling when yeah. something like that happens. Transfixing Stare, you can still make attacks, you can still push the guy, you still have options. Hard actions. Yeah, you can still do his on card. Yeah, that's what, okay. It's basically just, hey, you just stay there. You just chill right there. So it's, it's very powerful, but it doesn't just feel like you're getting pooped on when it happens either. Yeah. I also like it, like, let's say you, let's say you go first in the round, and then your opponent has the last activation. Yeah. You can kind of move one of your guys near his, one of his guys that haven't activated yet. And then put the transfixing stare on them right before their last activation. And that could screw up their whole plan. Like For if you sure. put this deck yeah. in if you put this card in as anti Molog's tech and then you play against Magor for some or it's, some it's for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. It's still pretty good. Yeah. It's just it's it's not like amazing or anything, but it can be it can it can get some use. Speaking of not amazing, here's some really terrible cards from this group. Um Randall, you were positively raging against this one. Uh, Quintox Gamble. Well, this was this we're, was we're interesting because I, 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 like the the second I opened the the Malogs pack when I got it, I was looking through all the cards and I and I read this one and I was like, this may be the worst card ever printed in the game. Well, let, let, but let's then Stephen Van came in and said, Nah. I got I got another one that's even worse than this, which we'll get to. Which which was the Skaven one, right? What's that one called, Stephen? Oh, uh, Lord, I don't even remember. I wrote it's an the, article on it. Yeah, it's the one where. All right. Anyway, you want to read the card, Max, and I'll pull the well, article now, up. Now I want to find out what that is. Yeah, yeah. Just read the read uh, the card, and then I'll pull it up. Okay, so Quintox Gamble is a Gambit spell. You have to roll a crit. <laughs> one crit. You have to roll one crit. If you accidentally roll two, you know, you take a damage while you do this thing. If this spell is cast, shuffle your power discard pile face down and then add the top card to your hand. So you can you can just draw a card if you roll a crit. Right. Well, the, here, here's the, the thing I don't like about it. First of all, you have to get a crit to... To, is, to get it which yeah, is hardly ever gonna happen you know really really hard to plan for if you if you really want to get that crit if you want to guarantee that crit <laughs> you have to use the power surge card right before you do this but then then you have an, an extra card that gets added to your discard pile if you do that so a lot of people were saying like oh well this card is great if you have only played one power card that you really want to get back and it's the only one in your discard pile then you just get it back but in order to to make the the card consistently go off, you have to play that power surge card, and then you might get the power surge back in your hand. Right. It has to be, and you can have like a lot of cards in your deck in that in that in the uh, discard pile, pile. Yeah. So it, the chances of you even getting the one you want is pretty low. Yeah. So I have it pulled up here. I I uh, said that this might be the worst card ever printed, but then Stephen said that there's a card called Great Cunning. 
Yeah, it's even a, worse. Oh, it's a gem. Yeah, and it says, I'll just read Great Cutting. It says, reaction is a ploy. It says, reaction, play this after you play a power card in the power step. You can immediately play another power card. You can only play this if your leader is on the battlefield. <laughs> so, you know, you think about it, and Steven wrote a great article on this on his uh, College Shadespire blog. This is meant to be able to do two power cards in a row right before your opponent can respond. But it ends up eating a, a you know a card slot, and you know you You're have getting... to have the specific cards to. And then on to top of that, work. your opponent might not want to do anything. Yeah, you have to predict that they're going to do something. Yeah, not only do something, but do something that's going to screw up your plan that you've you've constructed that requires them not to do a specific thing in the middle. Yeah. Yeesh. But so I would. Uh, uh, I think Quintox Gamble is is a strong contender for worst card, mostly because like the longer you play and the more chance it is for it to to like be useful, the less chance it has to work appropriately. What if you were like mulliganing cards the entire game? It's like, yeah. oh, here's one of those cards I threw away. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay. Moving on. Still bottom decking, uh, still in the gambits, universal. Here's one. <clears throat> oh, you're gonna make me read all this? You shouldn't even read this card and just have the people trust in you that it is so bad because it okay. has a wall attached. Okay, it's called Taunting Challenge. I'm gonna do it anyway. It's really hard to understand this card. It's a reaction. Play this after an enemy fighter's move action that is part of a charge action. Okay. Choose a friendly fighter adjacent to that fighter, the enemy fighter. Wait, has he moved yet? Yes, after he moves. After he yes, moves. After so, he moves. So he lands somewhere. He's about to do a charge. He's next to two of your guys. He's now. next to two of. He has to be next to two of your guys. Okay, so not one. Well, he so has to. Yeah, yeah. If he charges somebody just sitting in space, then you can't even use this. Yeah. Okay. If the enemy fighter does not target that fighter with their subsequent attack, because people always say, "I'm going to do a charge." Then they wait two minutes. Then they say on this guy. Yeah. Because usually when people play, they're like, I'm just going to charge on this guy. Yeah. Right? So so where are you even going to throw this card? Because people, like, in, in, in the real flow of the game, nobody says, like, I'm going to declare a I'm charge. I'm going to declare a charge and then Who move and then say, well, now I will be attacking. Yeah, you, there's yeah. no, nobody does that. You just, you just say, I'm going to charge this guy. Right? And most and of the like, time, people won't even charge you if they're... Um, if they're going to end up being adjacent to two guys, usually they'll offset oh, yeah, the charge a little get, bit. Yeah. Yeah. They'll, they'll go to a different, they'll go to a different hex. So yeah. One hex over. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Hold on. So let's finish. I'm not even done. Okay. I wasn't even done. If the enemy fighter does not target that fighter with their subsequent attack action, the enemy fighter is no longer inspired and cannot be inspired. Well, that's a pretty big deal. The latter effect persists until the enemy fighter is out of action. Yeah, so, so it's kind of like Cruel Taunt in that regard. Kind of? Because Cruel Taunt has the same thing, where he becomes yeah. uninspired and cannot be inspired for the rest of the game. But I I, I don't know. I'd rather have the coin I'd rather have the, uh, the coin flip than this. I'd rather have yeah. the coin flip. Oh, yeah. It's, it's more likely to happen than this. It's vastly more likely that you will roll a 50-50 on a die than for this situation to ever occur. And then yeah. not only for it to occur... But for your opponent to be set enough on charging his original target that he goes, 
yeah, no, I'll just be uninspired for the rest of the game. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because, yeah, oh, yeah, because they get to choose, right? They're yeah. like, who are you going to go? You have to dare them to attack somebody else. Yeah. Terrible. Just the worst. Okay. Uh, some good upgrades right. in this in this deck, though. There's some good upgrades, though. Let's talk about these. Let's let, let let's get them. And um, I I do like this first one because everybody's gonna say bag of dicks, including me. Mm-hmm. The actual card is called bag of tricks. Henceforth, yep. called bag of dicks. Bag of dicks. Okay, it's an upgrade. Uh, it's universal, and this is in our cardiology section because we like it, uh, and because it's awesome. Uh, action. Search your power deck for a card. Reveal it and add it to your hand. Then shuffle your power deck and place a charge token next to this fighter. So already way better than Quintox Gamble. Well, uh, well, Quintox Gamble, if in the magical fantasy Disneyland actually works, you'll be able to play a powerful card twice in one game. Uh, this just kind of guarantees that you'll be able to play the card you want once. Once, yeah. That's... The, Which is way game. better, yeah. yeah any fine. in any card game that has ever existed, searching your deck and putting a card into your hand is one of the most powerful things you can do in yeah, any card game. Knows what it is? I mean, yeah. Do you have you to reveal this? Do you have to reveal it? You have to this reveal one? it. Oh, okay. All right. But I mean, like, I'm pulling out inspiration strikes. Right. What are you gonna do? Mm. Right. Unless you have like a forceful denial. Hmm. Um, yeah, this is pretty great. You know, you throw it on the Stalax Squig. Right. Don't say they can't have this upgrade. Correct. Yeah, I, I was often putting it on one of the three Goblin Archers. Um, I'm actually going to be moving away from Bag of Tricks because I didn't have enough activations to make use of it. But um, in, in the sense of, like, what can you tutor for? Uh, anything, obviously. One of the things that is, I think, kind of broken about the Shadespire system is there's effectively no counter for upgrades. So if you tutor for an upgrade, you're just getting whatever it is that you want. Yep. Um, in my case, it was tomes. So if I wasn't going to end up drawing my whole deck, which I often did, but if I wasn't, I'd tutor for a tome. Yep. And there's a lot of, you know, you, you just tutor for whatever card you really need at that time. So it does, it does require, you know, a little bit of skill, you know, you need to be able to assess the situation and then be able, if, if you want to run this card in order to make it worth it, you need to be able to pull the exact card out of your deck that can help you in that situation. Yeah. So it does have a kind of a, a, a higher um, skill cap. But the, the problem with it is that it puts a charge token next to the guy. So you have to have, you know, you have to be able to you have to be able to afford to have a guy that just doesn't do anything for the whole round. Yeah. 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 Somebody like the Stalag Squig, somebody like, you know, a Goblin Archer, somebody like a Turash or something like that. Right. Um, that is just not going to do anything for the whole rest I mean, of the especially round. Especially in the Molog's, uh, you know, group, you know, you're not, it's going to be difficult to use Molog for all four activations. Yeah. Yeah. So you might as well spend one fishing something out. Hmm. Yeah, I think for for uh, like four and five model uh, armies, it's it's like the perfect size to use this. Yep. Yeah, three fighters you kind of don't because then you're taking one fighter out of the whole game, and that could or the whole round. Yeah. Yeah. 
right. sounds good but yeah uh, this this card is great if you have the warband that can handle it and you are decent enough at the game where you can predict what the best card is for the situation so good. yeah good one good one all right let's move on then okay the next one is uh another upgrade that we like is called toma vitality uh, which just gives you plus one wounds, plus it's a cataphrane tome. Uh, Steven, I, I'm certain you were using this one. Yeah, and I think it's it's pretty easy to see why it's good. I mean, I, people play Great Fortitude. Fortitude all the time. Just another uh, Great Fortitude. It also triggers Acolyte of the Cataphranes. I mean, they, they have put out some kind of weak meta for Cataphranes. There's some objective where if you kill a guy that has a tome on him, you get a glory or something. But nobody's playing that. Um, right. it, it's not prevalent. No, and and like I think stuff like not not enough um, warbands have wizards in them to start using the millstone stuff. Right, uh, I like this because it is a tome that is also useful. Like there's offerings, and this one I think are the solid ones that'll get played inside and outside of tomes decks. There's a couple of tomes that are decent, like disease and glories. Yeah, and then there's warfare, which is a huge turd. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Just, but, it's, it's just there to give you another glory at the end of the game. Exactly. Yeah. Vitality is actually useful, and I think we'll see a lot of play. Yeah, the other thing I like about this is, you know, with something like Great Strength, there are a lot of cards. First of all, there's Incredible Strength. And then there's a lot of in-faction cards that work only on specific guys that do kind of the same thing as, as Great Strength. But there really isn't a lot of cards similar to Great Fortitude. Yeah. Especially um, generics. Like, there's only... Sudden growth, which has a pretty big downside to it, uh, in moving, making your your you move to less. Um, this one is just literally great fortitude with a different name, yeah. And, and like that it. doesn't exist already in the game, so this is a pretty good card to play. You know, in just even even just a regular deck that has not that wants nothing to do with with stacking up tomes on one guy. Exactly. Yep. Okay. All right. So here's another upgrade we're going to talk about. Uh, it's it's universal. And it's called Challenge Seeker. This one says, when this fighter makes an attack action that targets a fighter with a higher wounds characteristic than itself, that attack action has plus one dice. Uh, I, I see this being used in a lot of warbands that have low wounds to begin with. Um, and, and we've been talking about how uh, you know having extra dice is always good. Well, having extra dice, we say, is usually better than rerolls or extra damage. Yeah, because uh, you can get more crits that way. Yeah, I think or just higher chance becoming, of hitting. Yeah, I think accuracy is becoming more important as the game goes on. Right. You know, especially yeah. things having, you know, two defense dice or something like that, or just a ton of health. Right. What were you going to say, Stephen? Uh, I was going to say that you know you mentioned earlier that really one of the only ways that that Moloch struggles is when it can't hit. Um, so anything that that you know, improves your your accuracy. This one in particular doesn't really work for Molog, but it, it will work for almost anybody else is is well worth playing. Right, and we were saying that this is helpful with a lot of warbands that have several fighters that have two or three wounds. Yeah, uh, it's definitely something I considered in, in Goblins before I decided to take out anything that was even remotely offensive. Mm -hmm. um, and then I was saying that, you know, you might even consider putting this in Magors. Because, you know, you think about it, you have a pretty... If you're playing Magors, you have a pretty good 
matchup against almost everybody in the game except for Malog or Curse Breakers. And, you know, if you can, you know, I think that that Magor is oftentimes good enough where they could possibly win games with even, you know, like nine upgrade cards in their deck. But when you play against Malog or Curse Breakers, this is going to be very helpful. For Uh, sure. Yeah, because when Stormsire gets his upgrades, you're now rolling an extra dice on him. That could even be, you know, something in Magor's, that could be three or even four dice sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and with with cleave on crits for for rip tooth or just cleave in general for Magors, it's against a, a shields group. I mean, that's that's pretty strong. Yeah, it's going to be kind of useless against you know if you're if you get matched up against like goblins or skeletons or whatever. But in the games where you are up against curse breakers or Malog, it's going to be extremely helpful. Yeah, but you might even want to put it in in a warband that um has four wounds on all their fighters. As long as you're, you know, if if attacking is very important to your whole objective deck and your whole plan in general, it's just a great card. Yeah. Um. And and here's uh the last upgrade uh, that we that we kind of like, but we, I think we kind of like this. I think it's an interesting card. Um. It's it's very specific. This is called Warding Scroll, and it's a reaction after an enemy fighter's spell is cast, but before it is resolved. If this fighter is on the battlefield, discard this card and that spell is not cast. So it acts like a counter spell, which mm-hmm. you don't even have to roll for. So, of course, the negative to this is that, you know, not every warband has spells or that spells are even like super amazing right now. But I could see in the future, you might see this more often as uh, more wizards show up and as more uh, stronger spells show up. I mean, yeah. you can use this. could you use this against um, can you use this against Stormsire? Yeah, we we just so Stephen, you want to go into this? You had a good, interesting perspective on this card in general. So I think there's a couple of things to think about here. I think that that there are a number of cards already that are designed to help against the wizard kind of type warbands. I think this is by far the best one um, because it's it's by not far. limited in any way. Yeah, it's not limited by range. It's not um, you don't make a die roll. It just shuts off a spell. Um, so you can use it against Fulmination, you can use it against uh, whatever they call Vortimus's Magical Poke, um, and then you can also use it against Gambit spells. Um, I think it actually might be um, the best in those decks that really struggle against uh, damage that they can't defend against. So I, I know that there are some Curse Breaker decks floating around that are really focused on on just using damage that you don't get a defense roll against. And there are definitely decks that that's really bad for. Uh, you know, uh, the one that springs to mind for me is anybody who's super defensive. Um, if you can't use your defense dice, uh, you're kind of out of luck against that stuff. So that may, if those decks become more popular where you're just dealing five or six damage over the course of the game that have no defense roll associated with them, then, then this card may come into prominence. Right, and it's interesting that it says um, after an enemy fighter's spell is cast, but before it is resolved. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, so you... Yeah. After the roll. It's after the roll, but before you roll defense. So, like, they have to tell you who they're targeting, and you, you get to see if they're even going to whiff it. Um, and then you can decide, oh, no, I really need my boss not to get hit by Fulmination or whatever. Yeah, yeah. like if they roll double crits or something like that when they cast it. You could yeah. decide to, yeah, to, to, or, to pull this, or if they roll nothing, 
yeah. you can just decide or, not to use this, right? Alternately, if like they roll one success and you have a pretty solid defense, you know, you can you can decide to go without it. Yeah. All right. It, it's a big deterrent to being as as uh, spell dependent as as curse breakers and sometimes eyes of the nine are for their damage. It like it really throws a speed bump in that plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get this off the guy first before you can really yep. get any damage. Yep. Yep. Right. And and curse breakers are a you know, undeniably a top tier faction that wins a lot sure. of tournaments. So yep. a lot of times you don't you won't even feel bad putting this in your deck just so you can get a, a favorable matchup against that war. Yeah. If you're if you're going to do well in a tournament, you're going to play against curse breakers almost certainly. Yeah. Um and and like my deck has a lot of trouble with curse breakers that focus on AoEs. Um and uh, you know, I considered playing this card in the tournament. I ended up not going with it because I didn't have room because I played five tomes. Yeah, it's hard but, to find room for this card. Yeah. yeah. But uh, it, it's, I think it definitely has the potential to be very good in the future. Yeah, and and one of the things we had when we had um, Bryce on, he said that he actually won a game by using uh, Abbasoth's Unmaking. Yep. Um. So if you're playing a, you know, that that card, I've I've actually seen that card popping up a lot in a lot of tournament winning decks, Abbasoth's Unmaking. Yes. Uh, not, you know, not even just in, in Curse Breakers, but that card really screws over uh, Objective Warband. So if you're playing an Objective Warband, you might want to throw this card in there just so you can't get Abbasoth's Unmaking scored on you. Yeah, if you're playing straight objectives, I think you you 100% should play this card because Abyssoth's Unmaking is the new Mischievous Spirits. It's what everybody has kind of swapped to, I think, if they can. Yeah, and it's because it's so easy to cast, and then also it can help you, you know, if Stormsire wants to fulminate you off an objective, you can just cancel it. Yep. So I think, yeah, if you're playing a heavy objectives-based deck and you think you're going to do well at a tournament, you might want to throw this one in. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, maybe um, you know, goblins or uh, night haunt would want this. All right. Yeah. Let, let's move on. We got uh, two more here. We're bottom decking now with the uh, with the general upgrades, the universal upgrades. The first one, I remember opening the pack and reading this and going like, "Can't you do that anyway?" And it's called Envoy's Prerogative. Well, I had to explain to you why this. Right. Card, no. Now, yeah. I, I see it now. I see it now, but it still seems kind of the same. Uh, for Envoy's prerogative, first of all, it's an upgrade, so you have to spend a glory to put this on something, and then you have to take an action to do it. So it takes a an activation, a glory and an activation. Yeah, yeah. draw an up objective card, then discard an objective card. So the first thing I was thinking is like, isn't that, can't you already do that in, in an activation anyway? Um, and then I realized uh, when you told me is that it is it changes the the um, the order. order. Right, because you can discard the objective, usually discard an objective first and then draw up. Here you get to like look at it and see if it's helpful. Right, um, yeah. Nor- normally you would have to say, I'm going to discard this card and then draw another card, which is you it, can do. Is it worth yeah. the upgrade slot? I mean, yeah, no. This... No, because you're, you're not going to do that unless you have a card in your hand that you want to throw away anyway. Yeah, and that's the real difference. I think in, in other games, an effect like this can be really good. So like in Magic the Gathering, there are a ton of effects where you draw a card and then you discard one, right? And that can be really good because you have seven cards in your hand and everything's very situational whether you want it or not. Um, and it doesn't take a, a core component of your game away. 
Whereas in Warhammer Underworlds, oh my god, I called it Underworlds in Shadespire. Um, <laughs> Call it Shadespire. Now you have man. to delete your blog now. God, yep. uh, you have to delete I'm your blog fire. and your Twitter. Don't worry, we'll edit that out. Okay. No, uh, no we won't. But in in Shadespire, uh, like this is a core function. You get twelve activations, right? If you're going to use it to cycle an objective, you had better have an objective you don't want already. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you and don't it, want to have three good objectives and go, I want to look for something slightly better. Yeah. And you mentioned magic. Magic, um, you know, cycling is is yeah. a very powerful effect because you have a lot of cards in your deck called lands, which you might not yeah. you might not need at the time. So they're kind of cards that if you draw, you know, you don't really care about getting rid of them. Which doesn't happen in Shadespire. You know, every every yeah. card you put in your deck, you put in there deliberately, and you had, you know, you know, you had to make a lot of tough decisions on which cards to cut. Second of yeah. all, Magic yeah. has a, a mechanic where you can play a lot of cards out of your discard pile, which is way less prevalent in this game. Yeah, well, so, so especially with the with the objectives, I, I think there there might be one card where you can get an objective back. Is that? Even a thing? No, right? It's it's only upgrades uh, no, and ploys. There's, no, there's. I think if there's a spell that have already, they, I think they're already out. Isn't that upgrades and ploys though? Is that I don't think you can score an objective twice. One for a one for an upgrade. I don't think there's anything for an objective. Yeah. So there's yeah, nothing. I, there's yeah. There's nothing in the game that allows you to play out of your okay, objective discard be, pile at all. Yeah. That is. Yeah. That, that that is some design space that they have not explored. Correct. Huh. All right. We'll see if that comes yeah, up. Yeah, it's bad. It's terrible. Yeah, yeah, just but don't use this one. Uh, here, uh, all right. So we made it to the to the end. We got one last bottom decking card that we want to talk about. Uh, called possessed weapon. It's an upgrade. Universal. After each attack action with a range of one or two, this fighter makes, they suffer one damage. Their attack actions with a range of one or two have plus one damage. Even if you whiff, you still take a damage. Yep. I can imagine putting this on like uh, anything with mighty swing and missing five times and then like killing yourself. Just dying. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I dare yeah, somebody I... to do that. Put possessed weapon and mighty swing in your deck, set it up and kill yourself with possessed right. weapon. And, and also don't, don't get baited. If you play orcs, don't get baited by this card because it's oh, after you attack, you suffer the one damage. So you can't play this and then get inspired and then attack. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Ah, so it's not a coolish pack. Right. Or like that. And then the other thing we talked about was uh, the interaction with my turn. So if you play if you play this and then you attack, then that will trigger my turn. You'll get to attack again, but you're going to take two damage if you it's do that because you're going to attack and then attack again yep. with the possessed weapon. You, and this is not a may either. This is not like right. a you may use you. this upgrade. It's after after each attack action. With a range of one or two, yeah, and, and I think probably, I think probably it was designed as like a Molog enhancer, um, but there's just a there's so many better ones for Molog, and B like once you slap this on Molog, you basically have turned off your spin attack. Um, yeah, and you're kind of putting yourself on a clock too, like and you put yeah you put Molog on a clock, which is not what you want to do. Yeah, I, I, I thought about that at first. I was like, oh, well, I'll get to deal damage to myself so that my Mala gets inspired faster, but you're better just off just playing in, uh, Inspiration Strikes or yeah, whatever. Don't, or, yeah. don't ever yep. try to get inspired when you get hit. Yeah. Always yeah. try to get inspired with a card if you're playing Mala. Yep. Absolutely. All right, Terrible cool. card. Never play with this card. Terrible. Don't do Throw it. Throw it away. 
No, don't throw it away. Use this. You know, you know what you do. You Point use this it. as the card. You put it face. You put it face backwards in your sleeve, and then you put right. And then yeah, you put, you put like, a proxy card in front of it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. All right, cool. So we've made it. That's it. I feel like we. That's we the got, end of the review. We got through the the that whole thing. Everything else that we saw was like kind of good, but definitely not doesn't go into a deck. Um, but uh, but the 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 cardiology cards we talked about before, maybe you play them. In some cases, you definitely play them. Um, we're gonna move on to our last segment. Uh, Stephen, you're the guest, so you get to do our keys to salvation for this episode. All right. Um, so I did have to think about this a little bit. It, it wasn't anything that stood out at me because I, I don't really consider myself to be a super good player in, in any game I've ever played. Um, I'm a good deck builder, but I, I've never been good like under pressure. Um, so I kind of went with a more deck building theme. I think that you're very humble. I mean, you came in third and you went undefeated for a weekend. I mean, you're a pretty good player, man. Well, I have to build a deck that will carry me. That's how how I win games. Oh, but that's um, like part of being a player. Yeah. It's so your deck, like, yeah, I think one of the things deck. that that oh, short. That's all I'm saying. Good. Good. has really done well for me is um, something that a friend of mine, Alex, suggested one time when we were getting together to prep for a tournament, and he he decided to just bring a deck with no restricted cards in it Ooh. because it forced him to consider options that he wouldn't have looked at before. And it's really kind of changed the way that I build. Um, about two weeks before LVO, uh, I was playing Potion of Rage, Great Strength, and and uh, Glory Seeker in my Goblins deck because you play those cards, right? They're good. Yeah. Um, and and thinking back to that, I decided to just try it without them. And I, I was so much happier with the deck. Uh, it, it really got me thinking about how how to deck build and how to play and i think that's my key to salvation is is just don't be afraid to try new things obviously you don't want to go to the tournament with your wildly untested deck that's going to make you sad you're going to go one and three um and you should definitely put restricted cards in the deck that you bring to the tournament for sure um but i think that that what i meant by that example is like you open up a few slots in your deck to try some things and you're probably not going to find a card that's going to replace a restricted card. That's not your goal. But what you might find is a card to replace a card that you think of as a go-to, right? right. Like for me, potion of rage is a go-to. I put, I start building decks with potion of rage in them. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in this particular goblin deck, it didn't work. And I really had to try something completely off the wall to, to convince myself that it didn't work. And, and once I did that, I was much happier. And that's how I ended up with a Tomes deck. That was the only way I was able to free up space for Tomes was to, to get rid of, of uh, Great Strength and, and uh, Potion of Rage and Glory Seeker. Um, and it ended up being a totally different kind of deck. So I just want to encourage people, like, try something new every once in a while. Take, take out your babies, your, your you know, close to your heart, um, beautiful children that you play in every deck and try some new cards and see if you find a new path. You might not, but I think it's worth playing and I think it's, it makes you into a better player. Oh yeah, you definitely need the data. I, I also like this idea because uh, you might run into card interactions that you would have never run into. Yeah. Had you played the same, you know, the same five or six cards that you always put in. Um, I, I like this a lot. I mean, clearly if you don't have a lot of time to prepare, maybe you don't have time for this, but if you have time to prepare, I like this idea a lot. Yeah, I think it, it not only is, has made me a better player with, with like better results, but it also has um, 
led me to have a lot more fun, uh, which is, is why I still play the game. And probably the most important thing you can focus on when you're playing a game is having fun. Um, and this kind of methodology of just trying new things has helped me with that. Yeah, another thing is when you're testing out cards that aren't on the restricted list, you know, you they, they the restricted list might come out tomorrow. You know, they might update the you know, we have no idea. They don't announce when they're going to do anything like this. Oh, yeah. The right. restricted list might come out tomorrow and then you have a tournament next week or whatever. And they're like, oh, we're using the restricted list. Of course we're using it. And then you have to, you know, redo your deck. It's not tested out. Oh, no. Escalation's you know? banned? Yeah. What do I do? Right. And then you, you've, you know, gotten into this this pattern where you're relying on those certain cards and you haven't really tested anything out because those yeah. those cards are so ubiquitous. Yeah. And I think we're getting to that point again where we were right after like Megor's launched and, and did really well and where a lot of the decks are starting to look very similar. And I think that's going to trigger probably another evolution of the, the Wubar list. Yeah, Wubar. Hmm. Call it Wubar. So uh, yeah, it, it helps with that too. You're absolutely right. It helps you keep an open, like flexible viewpoint on the game. And, and I think that will help you win and it will also help you have more fun. Um, like Dave Cutts did with me where, where he was getting these miserable dice rolls and he's like, no, this is just what happens. Like having that kind of point of view um, um, helps you enjoy the game even when things aren't going your way. <laughs> yeah, and if you, even if you, you know, like, like Max said before, like, you know, obviously you're going to play with, with restricted cards when you go to a tournament, you know, but being able to just have those, those cards that you've tested and, and tried in in your back pocket will kind of future proof your deck. Yes. You know, yeah, when you new stuff comes out or yeah. When new stuff comes out or when they unexpectedly drop the the updated woo bar list on us. Yeah. Whenever they feel like it, you know, on a random yeah, Tuesday or whatever. Yeah. Like, hey, you know what would be good now? And then you'll know because you've played that card before. Yeah. And and that's I think that's that's the key for me that I'd like to put forward is try try new stuff. All right. Yep. Sounds great. I think that's a great idea. All right. Anyway, so I think we made it. Uh, everybody, we just want to thank Stephen Van for coming on the show. Um, go and check out his blog. Call it Shade Spire because just call it Shade Spire. That's more fun to say. Should we change the name of our thing for uh, from uh, BFSWU to BFSS? No. Call it Battle for Salvation Shades by nope. no. Yeah, that's fair. It's it's kind of my my pet pony that I All like right. to ride on. That's cool, man. The other thing I want to say is I want to thank the viewers. I know that or listeners. I mean, I know that you guys were expecting us to do the the card reviews right as they came out, but we had the opportunity to have um, uh, Bryce on last week, and we really wanted to get that in. So thank you for for waiting for the card. Uh, review episode yeah um and also uh please go out and you know like us on facebook we have the the facebook page uh come on that and uh and hit the like button uh itunes hit the subscribe button um podcast uh pod bean hit the following button and uh and definitely go and check out the, the college shades fire blog um yeah. yeah and if you have any friends that are getting into the game you know, send them our way because, you know, a lot of people have come up and told me, you know, like I was thinking about getting into the game and then I listened to your podcast and I had a lot of, you know, it helped me out a lot. So yeah, if you have somebody that that 
is cool. new to the game or you're trying to convince to start playing the game, you know, have them yeah, tell, listen tell to our about, stuff on their way well, to definitely work or listen to our stuff, but also tell them there, there, there's, there's other podcasts out there. They're great. A lot of know, blogs too. What yeah. Hex and uh, claim the city. I saw they, they just, Oh yeah. They're going to come back, back soon. The, yeah. The stuff. So that's great. Definitely listen to them. Um, you know, all, all the other blogs that are out there. I mean, it, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Everybody, please go and check it out and, and read and do your research and uh, and have fun with this game. All right. All right. Sounds good. All right, Stephen, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for having me. All right. And from the Battle for Salvation Warhammer Shadespire podcast, this is Max Bernstein. I'm Randall Slate. And we'll see you guys next time.